I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And I'm Phil Wolf of the Nefris Initiative. You're listening to Snakes and Stogies. The only podcast dedicated to fine tobacco. All things reptile related. And the people who love them. As part of the Repeticulture Network. Good Lord, you think we'd have it figured out by now? Actually, I thought it was pretty good. I, <laughs> I started it, and then I was like, I didn't start the stream. So I had to restart. <laughs> it's okay. I like the new background. Ignore the dog in the background. You like it? I'm going to try and, like, I want to find one each week and make the light match the color. So it's like I'm, it's like I'm there. Sure. Why not? <laughs> Gives it a nice, nice ambiance. Man, we got a bunch of people in the group chat tonight. Mike Kosicki's alive. He is alive. Glad to see he's Thank alive. God. Yeah. Hopefully he came home to a house full of eggs. Dylan, Pun, Billy, Brendan. Unintended. Gendra. The Gendra. <clears throat> ah, welcome, everybody. This is episode 116 of Snakes and Stogies, which is brought to you by blackboxcages.com right here and Puget Sound Pythons uh, check both out Facebook, Instagram blackboxcages.com if you need to order a rack in a cage um, we're biased but we love black box cages yeah and uh, a very good friend of ours the one and only hen dog oh, is yeah. actually uh, he's been building a room sized king cobra enclosure for many months now and he needed giant pieces of plexi, acrylic, whatever it is. And Black Box facilitated that. Nice. Yeah, I saw messages it. back Perfect. and forth. I didn't read them, but I saw the notifications popping up of Henry messaging them. Sometimes, if it's someone I know, sometimes I'll pop in the messenger and, and make some sort of rude crack <laughs> sure, at him sure. or something. Of course. Well, it's funny because like he's been building this thing for a solid six, seven months. Mm-hmm. And even before that, even before, like, he's one of those guys that he doesn't want to get caught with his pants down. He wants to have yeah. the enclosure ready to go. And I know he has uh, this particular one's for Mango. And the enclosure that Mango's in now could last him several more months. But Might as well just go ahead and get it done. Yeah, well, he's got some more snakes coming in and he wants to uh, repurpose that enclosure. Gotcha. So and 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 basically duplicate, if not triplicate triplicate is that the right word uh sure. uh that same enclosure and then make mango's big room size enclosure but he was getting the runaround on people cutting plexi cutting glass mm-hmm. cutting acrylic and you know i even i even sent him to to sea serpents and chris was like dude i can do it but it's going to be several weeks if not months because you know we're back up we're back long, yeah, you know? yeah. he's got to pump stuff out so Steve black box saved the day Mr. Dylan, Poole. which which nub are you smoking? There's Henry. Henry's right there. Hey, the hen dog. He said he's having his first nub tonight. Oh, nice, nice. I love all the nubs. Whether yeah, it's you the do. Cameroon, the Maduro, the Habano, the Connecticut—they're all very good. My only gripe is I feel like you get about halfway through it and then they start burning hot. Oh yeah. And it kind of takes away from the. I feel like I end up smoking only like half of it. Yeah, well, it's like those those sosas that used to come out of Tampa or out of Ybor City and Tarpon Springs in that area. They were one of the greatest stubby, snub-nosed cigars around, but 
you had to smoke them slow, you know? Yeah. 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 I love the blends on all four though. Like they're all, all rock saw. I think that Cameroon is honestly one of the best Cameroons on the market flavor wise. Um, yeah, he's smoking the Cameroon. Nice. But yeah, the Maduro is phenomenal. The Habana is phenomenal. The Connecticut's awesome. Cameroon's great. You know, you can't go wrong with any of them. And then they even have a Oliva Milanio because Oliva is the one who makes the nubs. So that's an Oliva brand. Um, they have a, a Milanio nub that's like a limited edition. And I, I, our rep gave us, gave me one not that long ago at the last event we had, and it was actually pretty good. <clears throat> I do love the Melania Maduros. That is one of my one of my all time faves. Faves. Nice. Nice. What I are just you got a message. Uh, I am actually. Well, I just got a message. Our guest is running a little behind. He's having technical difficulties. Um, but we were talking about the fire stick last week. So I was like, "This is my last one, man," and I've been saving it for tonight. Oh. So. Have fun with that. I don't. I don't know, man. Maybe it's just because I smoke so many of them when they when we we first got them in that I'm just like, Bleh. yeah. I think that's what it is, man. I think it, it's like a peaty scotch. You can't drink too much of it because it'll it it'll just be campfire over and over again. Yep, that's. I have Vietnam flashbacks to Ardbeg. <laughs> there was one Christmas I went just a little too hard on that stuff, man. Now it's just. I don't know. That bottle's probably still at my buddy's parents' house. You struggling there? You got it? No, no, no. I'm, I'm just giving it a little, just a little heat because this thing's really hot. So that actually brings up a good point. We can get into some stogie stuff real quick before yeah, let's do it. Let's uh, do it. Terry Burwell's joining us tonight. Hopefully, if, we, you know, if we get that. So, um, when you're smoking smaller gauge cigars like a Lancero, like a Corona, um, like what Phil has. You really want to shoot for like there's the single torch, like single flame torches work best for that kind of thing because you don't overdo it. When you use like you see those gigantic tabletop lighters that are like a welding torch, those are overkill for just about anything that isn't like a 70 gauge plus. So I'm at a point now where actually I've come to appreciate single and double torches more like this little stick one I have that I actually freaking love um, just because you don't have to worry about overdoing it you can as odd as it sounds you can burn the tobacco to where you're not getting really any flavor from it you burned it too hot and you just taste sort of that charcoaliness to it yeah um, the idea is and even more so with with like pipes and pipe tobacco is you want to you want to toast it you want to burn it at the lowest temperature possible to where it's still combusting like still combustible, but you're not charring it. You're not turning it into freaking glass. So with those guys, like especially thinner gauge cigars, they typically do tend to burn a little hotter. So you do want to burn them a little slower. Um, they tend to, because they get hotter like that, you get a like that sharp point on the end of your cigar. If you ever get that point, that means you're smoking it too hot or you're smoking it too fast, which are pretty much the same thing. Uh, so the best thing is, is to just lay it down for a few minutes, let it let it cool off some, tap that ash away, and it should be good to go. But you can tell uh, when it gets hot because it gets like this crayon like tip on the on the burning end of it, not the other end. But yeah, yeah, I'm I'm about I'm about a half an inch back on felt temperature, which is what mm -hmm. I like on a skinny guy like this. 
but I don't know if anybody was noticing, but I did not draw any heat when I was lighting it. I was just kind of feathering that torch just because these things are just so damn hot. And I kept it about an inch away from the blue of the flame and just feather a little bit, give it a little rotate, feather it, and just get it warm enough. And then I took a draw and it, it, it just it lit right up. So I, I didn't actually draw in any viable heat per se. And I think that's 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 the way that I like to take care of a really thin gauge. And then when you see people blowing on the end of a cigar after it's lit, that's to see what's what's still not completely lit all the way. So you'll see some like black within the cherry that's unlit tobacco that's just not burning at the same temperature as the other. So the idea is to blow it gently. <laughs> Uh, and, and light it up sort of slowly, but yeah, sort of like that tip right there that fills Dylan with. That's mm -hmm. that's typically a sign if you're smoking it and it stays like that or gets worse that you're just you're burning it too too quick. So yeah, yeah, I'm gonna give one more drag on this and probably give it a second to chill a little bit just because I don't want that point to to really start to kick. And you want an even burn because if you haven't if you have one half lit and the other half not like. If you're looking at the cigar in like terms of a circle and you split that circle in half, if you have one side that's dark and one side that's lit, you're going to get that canoeing, which is where one side burns and the other side just doesn't. Uh, and that just means you didn't light it all the way. So, Yeah, there's also a thing, too, and, and I find this with myself because I'm a cigarette smoker. Uh, we have a tendency to want to ash. And as you know, cockamamie as this may sound, you really shouldn't ash a cigar. You should let it fall naturally. If 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 you if I'm right. correct, Justin. Yeah, yeah. So everyone's it, it actually while, so having that ash is actually a big part of like the temperature regulation and keeping it at right. a steady. It's not getting exposed to air, especially if you have like a fan blowing, um, which I do right now because the bugs are horrible down here right now. Um, if you have it exposed to like open air and breezes and stuff, it's heating it up because it's, it's, there's oxygen hitting it. And like you would see with, you know, if you ever started like a fire in your backyard, you, you blow air into it or you fan it. And that's what really gets it going. Same thing here. So if you have an ash on there, that's nice. And, and like, if you tap it and it doesn't fall off, leave it, it's not ready yet. Like you want that ash on there. Cause it keeps, it's a, it's a temperature regulation in a sense. Like it, it keeps it where it needs to be and it's just not ready. So. So here, I, I actually, I'm trying to get... What's up, Sid? There we go. I actually fixed it. So now I, I don't have my little conical point anymore. It's more blunt. But you could see if I wasn't rotating this appropriately, I might start canoeing if I keep drawing as, as deep as I've been drawing. Yeah. So. And sometimes canoeing is, is just a part of it. You know, the premium cigars are handmade. I've said this before. There's going to be imperfections. There's going to be problems. Uh, it could just be the one you get, especially if you get like bundled sticks, they're typically not the best rolled. You get soft spots and stuff. And when you have that uneven sort of, uh, roll, you, you, the, the tobacco in that, those soft spots burns faster than the, than the filler and stuff inside. So you get these funny burns and stuff like that. Sometimes it just happens, you know, but, Yep. The man yep. of the hour. There he is. <laughs> oh, man. Carolinian. Howdy, howdy, everybody. I just had to, <laughs> then I had to dust off my old MacBook, <laughs> down, download Chrome, figure oh, out what my, my email password was, uh, forward the link you sent for my text to my email to, <laughs> anyway. So. I'm here. You How's it going? Did, you did that in pretty good time. I'm not gonna lie. Like, it's, yeah, 
pretty yeah especially older Macs when they got to come in they're like oh we have to update after like three years of not being updated and we won't let yeah. you do anything else until you do <laughs> try <Yeah>. three weeks <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 what's happening guys it is Terry Burwell of TV Snakes. It is. Not a whole lot, man. We were just talking about cigars, mm, burning cigars. them, lighting and burning them appropriately. All right. So you are get you, the best experience. Are you imbibing in a vice this evening? I, I'm not. I, uh, I think I'll go get a glass of water pretty soon. <laughs> Ooh, living dangerously. You got some tea left over from Easter or something? Yeah. Um, no, we, we, we ate the coconut cream pie and, and uh, we done nice. we're good to go. So um and I've been I've been sick since like December. So I don't need any help. Uh oh yeah, you were telling me about that. Yeah. I don't know I don't know what it's been, but uh like the last two nights have been the first nights since December that I haven't like just been dying coughing, taking cough medicine and everything else. So I don't know what it is. I think it's I think it's allergies, but you know. I don't know. Probably a combination. Do of other things. illnesses outside of COVID exist anymore? <laughs> well, um, I know it's not COVID because <laughs> because every time I'd get tested for COVID, you know, almost hoping that that's what it was. You know, Ebola and flu yeah. don't even matter anymore. It's not a thing anymore. It's all just you're bleeding yeah. out of your eyes. Oh yeah, that's COVID. Mm -hmm. Yeah, your eardrums are ruptured and you're bleeding from those too. COVID. <laughs> yeah, I had so, my fun with that. I'm I'm glad I made it out alive because mm -hmm. that sucked that was no fun. yeah my dad almost died it was like it was like christmas eve and mm. uh he had it and i called him to see how he was doing and he said well you know it ends when it ends and i didn't know if he was talking about the virus or his life and i was afraid of the answer that i would get if i asked for clarification right you know? so um uh, so i just kind of but fortunately uh he uh he made it through but it was touch and go there for a little bit yeah, we had a regular at work die from it a couple. It's been probably two months now, but um, I mean, from literally like a week, you know, from being fine to to no longer with us, you know, it's sure, crazy. Yeah. He was older. He hadn't been vaccinated. He was like hardcore against vaccines and stuff, mm -hmm. which I don't think that that necessarily played a part. I mean, he wasn't in the best of health anyways, and he was older. Mm -hmm. So whether he would have had that or not, if that would have changed the outcome, I'm, I don't know. But the uh yeah, it sucks. It's sad because him yeah. and his he had a, him and another guy used to come every Thursday and hang out, and they'd sit outside and I'd you know I'd shoot the breeze with them and stuff. And yeah, it's pretty sad, but it's crazy. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, Phil, what's how's it going down south? It's going. It is a uh, it's a muggy like seventy eight, seventy nine degrees right now, and. Uh, I'm not sweating yet because there's a little bit of a breeze on the tennis courts mm -hmm. where I'm at. But uh, Herpin just picked up. So Anna Marie and I went out a little bit and found a bunch of Nerodia. And nice. we got some funky weather. And other than that, <laughs> getting you on the show, man. That's it. Uh, glad to be here. Yeah. Thanks for reaching out. Cool, man. Yeah. Uh, so before, I'm, I'm smoking a Liga H99. Oh. Because we talked about Phil's excellent. real excellent. quick. I, I was... I had a, I might be switching jobs here soon, so I, had, I figured I'd, I'd, I'd get a little fancy, and so I got me an H ninety nine. Um, they're freaking good. Excellent. A little overhyped. I think they they overhyped them a little bit. 
for like two years they were like they were advertising it in the magazines and stuff but nobody had them nobody could get them they had a lottery system where shops were like randomly picked for who got a box and now they're they're coming out fairly regularly but i think because they they talked about it so much for so long that people kind of got this impression that it was of some sort of like mystery fantasy level like great cigar and compared to the nine and the and the t52 like it is it's it's a liga for sure but it's just it's not anything like those other two it's it's different it stands out on its own almost entirely so the the third point of the triangle yeah yeah excellent excellent yeah i think that the when you have like there's a certain level of hype to promote something but when you don't follow through in a timely manner it, it kills the vibe. Yeah, you're really shooting yourself in the foot when yeah. you keep, when you keep talking about it, but no one can get it. Yeah, yeah. And you do it for that long, you're gonna people are gonna be disappointed. It's, right. It's almost guaranteed people are gonna be like, "This is what we waited for." Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like exactly. that that last Tool album, everyone was like, "Dude, yeah, finally a Tool album," and you get it, and it's it's not bad by any means, but it was severely watered down in my opinion. It was kind of like, "That's what we waited a decade for." So. Yeah, that'll happen. But so, <sighs> Terry, you got the coals in the fire, my friend. You do right. a lot going on up up there in the upstate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where do you want to start? Yeah. Well, I want to. I want to speak. I, I was. I don't know if we should start with this or if we should like do this in the middle, like keep people in suspense. <laughs> but you had some night vision camera work that I oh, saw yeah. on Instagram. That was like, it was one of those times where you're holding the phone. You're like, what did Terry do? Oh, oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I did say that out loud. And my coworkers like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Do we do we dive right into that? Yeah. I mean, that's like that's part of what's been going on this year so far. So, I mean, what's how's 2022 been so far? I know yeah, you had a lot that. of stuff going, so. Pretty good. So, um, so the the video that you're talking about was um, my Rustgill Python laid eggs a couple of days ago, and I'd I'd noticed that, um, you know, I knew it was coming up. And what's so interesting is she had her prelay shed on the exact same day as she had the last two years in a row, and wow. um, and she's just super super consistent. It's super super interesting to watch, and um, so I knew she was going to lay soon. She was really acting uncomfortable and everything. And, and I've got these wise cameras, which mm-hmm. if anybody doesn't know, are the show me a better camera for, for the same amount of price. I mean, it's 20 bucks for this. You camera. can get them at PetSmart now. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was in my local PetSmart and I saw some, I was like, sweet. Now I don't have to yeah. buy them on Amazon anymore. I'm sure they were actually, I think the same price too yeah. as Amazon. It's tw- so it's 20 bucks. You don't have to have a subscription. You throw a memory card in it. You can record. You can do time lapse. You can do all kinds of stuff. You can, of course, it's hooked up to Wi-Fi. You can check it anywhere you go. And um, so th- they've been they've been great. And I'm really enjoying seeing how people use them, um, mm-hmm. you know, differently and and for recording and stuff. And I've never seen snakes lay eggs in real life. And um, so I really wanted to record it. So I was recording her. You know, every night I do a time lapse to see you know, maybe tonight's the night, maybe tonight's the night. And, um, she wasn't laying, she wasn't laying day 27. And I knew she was close. I, I, we'd had dinner and everything. And I went in and checked, I knew she was close, turned the lights off, went and put my kids to bed, started reading a book and then thought, oh, I'll check on her. And I checked on her, you know, from my bed 
and she'd already had 10 eggs out. And I was like, holy cow. Oh my gosh. Nice. And so I started the time lapse right there. And, uh, and yeah, that's the, that's the video that you get. So if, if anybody's wondering, it's, it's on my Instagram channel. Um, pretty sure yeah. I made a post. I'm pretty I think, sure uh, I made a post. Yeah, I'm going to pull it up right now. Yeah. I was going to say, Justin looks like he's trying to pull it up. Yeah. And just to I comment on the wireless man, keyboard, the, I, the first time I had them was when we were, we had bred some Cobras at underground and Rah! they had bought, they had bought like 15 or 20 of them for the farm to just put in random enclosures and get B roll and whatever else. Yeah. And I was like, Hey, let me get one of those and stick it in there. And the amount of stuff, oh, there we go. Look mm -hmm. at that. The amount of no. stuff that they give you attach at different places in terms of suction cups and magnets yeah. and, you know, yeah. super sticky adhesive, you know, locking pieces. Yeah. And, we made the mistake of putting it in the enclosure, like hang, hanging it on the side of the enclosure because the mm -hmm. cobras knocked it off after the first night and it was staring at, right. staring at mulch for the next two days. But yeah, uh, I've, I've tried to those. put them in enclosures. I've never had success. Notice how she is not using the nest box. She has never <laughs> used the nest box. I don't, don't know what her deal is with that. She's never used a nest box. And um, <coughs> she lays them all in a single plane where the first year, I, I thought I was going to do maternal incubation and I was, I was real confident in that. And then she laid them in a single plane and I don't know that I would have done maternal incubation or not back then, but, but I, it was nice that I didn't have to like, I had an excuse other than just chickening out. Um, right. right. But, um, but I remember I, I was shaking when I was pulling the first ones um, for sure. <laughs> and then, um, and then last year I totally screwed up and she laid 22 eggs last year and they were too big to fit in the egg box. So I tried to remove one of them and it popped and oh. just spread goo all over, you know, like half the clutch and uh, 22 eggs laid eight hatched. Wow. So that was a, that was a super kick in the nuts. Uh, this is a clutch of 15. And um, so I'm super happy that, you know, she's back on it. We got him, got him in the incubator and the incubators already lost, lost power once. So, <laughs> you know, in the week that they've been in there or less. So uh, never a dull moment over here. But <laughs> um, I'm hoping I, I have another female that um, I'm pretty sure is gravid. So hopefully we can get the whole we can get the whole video, the whole laying um, with her. We'll see. But um, yeah, but, it's cool to see like the time lapse couldn't see like them literally work their way down and out. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, she lays oh, yeah. them like a string of pearls almost, yeah. you know, it just comes out, comes out, comes out. And then <laughs> when I went to collect them, um, so I, I was watching her, you know, I was upstairs, I was in my bed watching this video and, uh, in real time, just like in awe, I was just like, dude, this is so cool. And then when, when she was done, you know, it was like, I don't know, 11, 1130 at night, whatever, whatever the clock says there. And I was like, all right, cool. She's done. I guess I'll go to bed. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, I'm not gonna wake up for like seven, eight hours. Like, I think I should go pull those eggs right now. And so what can happen wife, between now and then. <laughs> yeah. My wife said, yeah, I think you should go pull, pull those now. So <clears throat> I got up and, and went down and got them, but they were already adhered to the bottom of the, uh, the cage. Ooh. So, um, so, you know, I'm having PTSD from last year, like popping an egg, you know, and all these things. And so, um, but you know, like any good, uh, herpetoculturist, I went upstairs, got my dental floss and, uh, and came down and just, saw it basically you know use it as like a 
a saw, so to speak, and and saw him off the bottom of the cage. So, and it, it worked. A, and that's some awesome MacGyver shit right there, because I definitely wouldn't have thought of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard of people doing that with chondro clutches to split the eggs apart from a from a mass. Mm-hmm. You use that to to like like you said, cut them. I guess I've never mm-hmm. I've never tried it, but mm-hmm. except I don't think it's I don't think it's strong enough to actually cut an egg and of course right. you know you use common sense right but um you know if you're, you're pretty delicate you can you can get it to unadhere from something for sure yeah so um yeah so that was the latest excitement that was pretty cool that's that's my second clutch of the year um in Jan- in february i got a clutch of dog tooth cat snake eggs that i wasn't expecting um and i hadn't had the female paired with a male since before april of last year and she laid she laid in april and then i think she laid again in june and then she laid in january look at my records um and i just i didn't want her to lay eggs right like i was i was (laughs) i was already raising up babies you know and um let me check and see because i find it Super interesting. So she laid in April, then she laid in November, and then she laid in February. Um, I believe April. It. She laid, yeah, she laid ten eggs in April, and that was the last time that I paired her with a male. Right, I paired her. She laid in April, then I, I never put her again with a male. In November, she laid eleven eggs, and then in February she laid seven. Um, and I just thought she's gonna lay eggs no matter what, <laughs> you know. So. Um, so I fed her a big chicken and put the mail in with her and, yeah. uh, they were, uh, they were, they were recording and mating last night. So, uh, but, I, but that's Cyania a, that's a cool. double clutch, no problem. And that second clutch was just as solid yeah. as the first one. Like, that's yeah. awesome. and, and did you, did you pair the, did you pair them in between? No. Yeah. Literally paired them once. And... Yeah. It's so, it's so interesting. So my Barons racers did the same thing last year. She had a clutch and then we moved um, and I was keeping her on paper in the new place and went to clean the cage, took the paper out. There's a clutch of eggs underneath the paper. And I was like, whoa, you know, like, yeah, it was a it was a nice it was a nice surprise for sure. You know, but uh, I, I just wasn't expecting that at all. You know, that's awesome. Um, yeah. The best surprises, man. The best mm-hmm. surprises. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, you you look at Boiga in particular, though, and it's it's really no surprise that they're as common as they are in their in their ranges and stuff because those things are just freaking machines. Like mm-hmm. they literally just crank out eggs and eat everything, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. like their that's their that's their role. I I think I I read a, a paper of uh of of a female having seven seven clutches in a year, um, with uh, Boiga signed on. Mm-hmm. Which which just seems just astronomical, but I don't know. I mean, if you give them enough food, maybe that's maybe that's maybe that happens. I'm by no means trying to do that, but um, uh, but I'm so happy to finally be having success with them. You know, that's a species yeah. that I, that I wanted for a very very long time from, you know, the Kingsnake.com forum days when I was watching Bill Hughes, aka Vegas Billy you know, on the forums, talk about mangrove snakes back in the day. And and he had a post on dogtooth cat snakes talking about this 10 foot long, tame Amazon tree boa, you know? And, um, and I was like, 
that's what I, that's what I want. And I was looking for him and looking for him. And for a long time, importers didn't bring them in because they just, they were, they're so fragile, you know, mm-hmm. um, compared to the Melanata and, um, that's much, much heavier bodied. And I got, I got some wild caught ones in that was just a huge mistake. And then, uh, and they all died within a month. And then, um, and then I got in, I said, swore off wild caught, said I'm only doing captive born, got some from Jordan, um, some babies and they were great. It's just, I wasn't ready for them. I, I, I was treating them like rhino rat snakes, you know, like, well, if you don't want to eat, you'll just wait, you'll get hungry, you know? Rhino rat snakes, you can do that. You can do that for months with a baby rhino rat snake, and uh, and it'll be fine. Well, you do that for a week and a half with a baby, you know, Boiga cyanodon, and you're yep. already you're already getting pretty dire. So yeah, my cyania uh, initially came from from Jordan as well, and his thing was mm-hmm. like, don't let them go two plus weeks without a meal. Like, put a tail mm-hmm. in them if they're not eating, just tail them, and then mm-hmm. offer a pinky, and then if they don't take repeat that until they finally do take and it worked i mean the ones he, when he sent them to me initially they had been eating pinkies and he's he he called it because he was like these are probably going to go off food again when you get them and sure enough they did but it was only after like a month or so of doing tails that that they they went back to eating and never never had any issues past that like mm-hmm. they, once they were once they were going they're going you know mm-hmm. yeah the cyanide that that i got from you are just i mean they don't they don't turn their nose up to anything. You know, I just, Mm -hmm. I just put it in there on the floor and they eat it. And, uh, they've, they've been a joy. And, um, with the, uh, so my adults that I got, the group that I have now, I bought from, uh, two different people and, um, I bought two females from somebody and a male from somebody else. And it ended up, the male ended up being a female and the two females ended up being a pair. So it worked itself out perfectly. Um, but, uh, but they were products of, of Jordan bringing those in too. And so after, you know, like my third clutch, I, I emailed him and cause as I know, I don't think he's bringing anything in anymore. And I emailed him and just said, you know, thanks for, for being the impetus, you know, to bring these in, allow me to work with these. Cause, uh, I really wanted to, and, and I was happy to share that it, it, they didn't all die, you know, like it, it seems mm-hmm. like we've got a population that we can, we can continue with and, um, and, and the knowledge, you know, I mean, it wasn't so long ago that if you're talking Boiga, you're talking Cyanea, Melanata, and maybe Dendro, you know? Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, my goodness, you can get just about anything you want. You know, you were talking about like Chelanensis and Guangjensis and Drapezii mm-hmm. and all these super tiny ones that we never even would have dreamed of getting in, um, you know, not too long ago. And now we're getting, you know, captive born ones and, um, growing them up. So, um, as, as far as legislation keeps off, I think, I think the, the future is super bright for Boiga species in, in the United States finally, you know? Yeah. Europe's man, they've got all the, you know, if you're in any of the Boiga groups on Facebook, like the people in Europe, they got all the, like everything, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I, I did want to pursue the genus more, but just because of the potential for the incoming, legislation and and i guess just putting focus in other other areas you know the cyanier um, whenever you give me the word you know they're going up to you so sure yeah yeah but yeah i mean i was very tempted to put them together again but just with everything else that i've got paired up i was like i'm just gonna not 
put mm-hmm. myself through that. You know, there's already going to be a lot going on. Yeah. Last thing I need is to be having a tail, you know, 12, whatever, you know, little, yeah, little yeah. worms. So. Yeah. Yeah. I've been assist feeding like 20, you know, baby cyanodon and uh, I assist feed them up until they, they're big enough to eat quail. And mm-hmm. then, and then they take off on quail. All right. Um, you can tease feed them, but tease feeding 20 snakes takes a long time, you know, and I, I just don't have time to, to do all that. And, uh, assist feeding has been pretty good. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've tried a whole, a lot of different things. And then, uh, a couple months ago, I thought, you know, they, they eat, uh, they eat eggs. Like I've fed them sparrow eggs that they've eaten. I fed them finch eggs for their very first meal. One clutch, I ordered some finch eggs, fed them for the very first meal right after they shed finch eggs and a hundred percent of them ate. And so I thought about what would happen if I assist fed them a hard boiled egg, you know, just cut it up into slivers and assist. Sure enough, they ate it. So, Hmm. um, have you ever tried just leaving pieces of hard boiled egg out and see if they eat them? Yeah, I've done that. Not, the sample size is small, right? Like I've done that a couple times. I haven't done that, you know, over and over and over again. I've done it a couple times and, and had not had success. Um, <clears throat> but, um, but, you know, assist feeding them, it seems like one, the smell is not offensive. Whereas like the smell of a, of a mouse, you can tell offends them. And sometimes that works in your favor. If, if they, you know, are aggressively, you know, want to chomp down on it and, and continue eating it. But, um, but a, a lot of times it doesn't, you know, and those ones that, that get offended by it, those are the ones, you know, that need to eat almost more than any of the other one, you know, those shy ones. Yeah. And so, um, so I was washing the pinkies. I've, I've been doing that and, and had some success with that. Um, but as strange as it sounds, uh, the legs on the pinkies were like, it was, you know, I mean, assist feeding is pretty precarious anyway, right? Where you're, try- you're just sitting still, you're trying not to move, you're trying not to, like, give them any reason to think that they're in danger or being watched or anything right. to you, spit you it can't out. can't them wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, and then they get to the, like, the front legs. And some if, like, some of these pinkies have, like, you know, rigor mortis front legs that are sticking out, mm-hmm. they got to, they gotta like, work away. It's like an obstacle. And I feel like it's just one more obstacle for them to pause and then spit it out. So here I am, <laughs> like cutting off baby pinky legs, you know, before I'm feeding them. It's like, this is kind of a lot. And um, I thought for the mass of, of egg that I, you know, hard boiled egg that I could feed, certainly that's got to be equal to or greater than the, um, you know, the value of a pinky mouse, right? And we right. go on and on about how terrible uh, a pinky mouse is in terms of a, a prey, right? Especially a frozen thawed, like how much how much like protein and phosphorus and like how much actual goodness is there. Right. And um, so anyway, it was a, it seemed to be a good texture for them. uh, And, and it's super cheap, man. I mean, it's, you know, eggs are way cheaper than mice right now. So, um, so yeah, I've been doing that and been having some, having some success with that. So it's been neat to experiment, see, Mm -hmm. um, see all that. But once the new building's all up and everything and I get caught up, I'd really like to start raising finches um, so that I can have finch eggs and fi- mm-hmm. finch eggs and button quail. I really want to raise those yeah, and, and see if we can't utilize those have, as prey sources. Have you tried doing 
uh, blood pinks or like day old pinks in the in the wash, the egg wash. <coughs> Excuse I me. Uh, like a heliderma soup. Yeah, well, basically, like there's been times when I've had troublesome arboreal stuff where, you know, they can only take a pinky head and braining yep. doesn't work. So I'll literally scramble up some egg for a Gila monster and then take my tweezers and dip that pinky head in in scrambled egg mush. And that just gets it, you know? Yeah. 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 I have to try that. Man, I tried yeah. dart frogs with those baby cyania. Like the first clutch, I had all those vitatis, and I was like, you know what? I've got more than enough of these things. Let's give yeah. one a shot, you know. And it got completely ignored. Yeah. So I tried a spring peeper. Uh, I thought for sure a spring peeper would work, you know. Mm-hmm. And I threw a spring peeper, and again, sample size was super small, and um, and nothing. I've got a morning gecko colony. I put five morning geckos in this enclosure with ten. Uh, baby sign it on and a couple months later I pulled six or seven morning geckos out you know like <laughs> like they didn't yeah. eat any of them and That's just watching crazy. them and this is another thing that I think I think there's there's no like I'm really curious as to what they're eating in the wild I, I have a feeling like eggs totally make sense because they don't run away right. and some sort of insect whether it be you know arthropods mm-hmm. um, slugs you know stuff, something like that because they're not fast they're and this is where i was wrong they're they're definitely not strong no (laughs) and and i thought and they're terrible like their strike accuracy is terrible so i was thinking as i'm watching them like inspect these morning geckos i was like the morning geckos are nocturnal the snakes are nocturnal i was like there's no way that that this snake is going to find the catch a nocturnal gecko like there's just no way so maybe sleeping diurnal lizard but even then i'm like i don't know man that, that lizard have to be in some deep rem sleep you know for this snake to 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 get it because i just i just don't see it and um there was a giant i went outside the other day there was this giant slug and i was i was half tempted to uh to pick it up and see if you know put it in there and see if anything would happen but well um, if i could throw my two cents into it i would yeah. say to stay away from the slug because having kept stuff like Hispida that are slug eaters mm-hmm. and then trying slugs and snails on other animals, a lot of stuff goes to, goes to eat it because it's appealing to them. It may be the scent, maybe the appearance, whatever. But then as a defense mechanism, the slug lets the slug out more slime yeah. and, it, and the snake gets all messed up and it's like, oh, yeah. oh, you know? Yeah. But I also was going to say is there's a ton of footage like recent over the past couple of years of different Highland Tremersor species snagging diurnal lizards while they're in in sleep. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's it's almost like the snake, gra- the viper grabs the lizard, whether it be some kind of a null species or whatever they have in Southeast Asia. And the lizard's like, "What just happened? Oh my god, I'm being eaten! Oh, I'm dying!" Like, yeah, like there's, <laughs> by the time they realize that they got nabbed, yeah, they, there's there's no escape at that point. Yeah. So I don't know, man. Maybe if you could find some really tiny anoles. I had a little bit of success with Turkicus, scenting with Turkicus gecko. Um, For the Cyanea, right? Yeah, yeah. We yeah. had, so on the on the building at work, we have a, a pretty healthy colony of, of Turkicus that have been reproducing for years. And so there was a point where me and Jake caught a few of them and I tried to raise some, but I had them in a tank that didn't work very well. And so they ended up escaping somehow. Oh, um, par for the course, I, right, Phil? 
but yeah, but I ended up freezing one or two of them and uh, I would send with that. And it seems like that worked fairly well compared to other stuff. Um, they make these things called cage clips. Just FYI. Well, this was this was like some yard sale tank. I found that had a permanent lid on it and I tried to like hot glue the gaps and stuff, but apparently of I didn't do it did. good enough. I don't I don't know. It was a very yeah. half-assed attempt at, at yeah. trying to do that, but there's just so many of those geckos and stuff and the like the babies are tiny and the adults are a decent size, but you know, that was that seemed to work. I got better results from that than I did pretty much anything else so mm-hmm. yeah but i think it's just for me i just did what what jordan pretty much said was you know tail them offer food tail them offer food tail them off food, yeah until they take yeah. off again and that that always seemed to work when i with the with the two clutches i hatched out um yeah it was a pain because there was a there was a few of them that definitely seemed to to figure out the the trick i was pulling with with you know pinning them and, and putting a tail mm-hmm. down them. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. And even Sinea, I know they're, they're so much more durable than, than the Cynodon. And, um, you know, the, my first, uh, baby Cynodon, the ones that I got from Jordan, um, you know, they weren't, they were juveniles, but they weren't like baby babies, you know? Right. And, um, I thought, yeah, man, I'm going to get a rat tail and coat it in the egg yolk and, you know, put a rat tail down its, down its and that's a pretty good way to kill them. And um, I don't know if they just have a more sensitive, you know, lining or, or whatever, but um, right. it, 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 I recommend nobody like force feeding uh, sign. I was like, just don't do it. Just don't do it. And one, you really don't need to, because I, like I said, I've, I've seen enough of them now that they're not difficult to, to feed, you know, um, like I said, I mean, you can tease them or, you know, assist feeding has been great. You know, I've, I've assist feeded, you know, pieces of frog leg, um, the reptilinks, the pinky mice, you know, the eggs now, like they will eat, you know, to where I don't think that assist feeding is, is necessary. And, you know, it's another one of those things that um, I feel like we're always weighing the, the benefit of the, the calories of assist feeding against the stress of, yeah. of doing that. Right. And, um, um, and assist feeding is, you know, I feel like I don't want to force feed anything anymore, you know, but, but my first, the, those babies that I got initially, I mean, I was force feeding them, you know, and, um, cause that's what I had done with, uh, with rhino rat snakes, you know, I'd, I'd force fed, you know, pinky heads to, to those for, um, for several years, you know, with different clutches. So I was like, yeah, another baby snake. Sure. You know, and find out that they're not all built the same, you know? And so now I'm, I guess this is my, um, you know, my, my graduation as a, as a keeper, you know, as my education. Cause I mean, I, I don't force feed, I don't force yeah. feed runner rat snakes either anymore. So yeah, I do everything in my power to not force feed. And I, I mean, I, to be honest, I do everything in my power not to have to assist feed. Yeah. Just because yeah. I, I'm the, I'm that guy that the, the seesaw is heavily weighed on the stress level. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, with like with with condors and stuff, even that clutch of condors I had, I assist fed tails for some of them that just wouldn't take off, and it was just mm-hmm. like the way at the time, like we had had Cody Bartolini on or or something at one, not either just before or not long after, and I was kind of in agreement with him where it's like 
you can sit there and beat the hell out of him with a pinky for 20 minutes, or you can grab him for 30 seconds, throw a tail in him and put him back and have it, you know, be done and over with. So that was kind of the approach I took. And that seemed to work fine. And after a while you do get pretty quick at just getting it in, putting them down, moving on to the next one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then sort of making your way back through to make sure everyone at least kept it down. Cause sometimes they would give it back, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely not, I wouldn't recommend it for, for everything. Um, you know, for the cyania, it worked. It worked well. Those things are are pretty tough little little worms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is, I feel like this is part of the evolution of the hobby, right? Like you, you just try to figure out either one, you you line breed things or you selectively breed things to eat what we have available, right? Like mm-hmm. your Antaricea species that eat mice now, right? Like other people did that for us, right? Like we can thank the barkers right. for that and like all of that. That that the reason that our Antaricea eat eat rodents now is because of the work that had been done in the past and the line breeding that, that's come in there. And, um, so I think this is, yeah, kind of like the, the evolution of it. And in, in the, the case of, um, you know, in the case of, of Boiga species, you know, in particular, just, you know, I feel like my goodness, I mean, if they'll eat eggs, let's, let's feed them eggs, you know? And, um, I like birds. Sure. <laughs> you know, so let's, let's grab some, some zebra finches and do it. You know, I was trying to, I was trying to buy eggs, but my goodness, the Dazzy Peltis guys have made a market for zebra finch eggs and the zebra <laughs> finch breeders are taking full advantage of it. You know, I'm, Oh dude, they're charging like $3 wow. an egg plus shipping. Wow. You know? And, yeah. uh, and these eggs, I mean, you can fit two of them in a teaspoon. I mean, they're, yeah. they're like a, an M M&M, and M and not a peanut M M&M, and <laughs> M like a regular size M M&M. and M. And so, but, but yeah, I'm really curious to see, you know, the, the difference in the growth and all that stuff, you know? Well, and, it's funny you mentioned the, the zebra finches because that, that was definitely an idea I was going to bring up to you, but mm-hmm. my mom bred zebra finches my entire life. And oh, cool. she only had, I think 2.2 mm-hmm. and she was literally raiding the nests every 10 to 15 days. I, I think yeah. depending on the wow. time of the year. And the only thing I could say is that, she threw away so many eggs. If you could find a way to freeze them or like do mm-hmm. like a deep refrigeration and hang on to them, mm-hmm. you're going to, you're going to make out like a bandit. Uh, mm-hmm. However, she did. And I hope she doesn't get mad if she hears this. She did develop a calcified stone that's attached to her lung from unknowingly breathing in all the bird crap over oh, the years. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Just from yeah. four birds, just from four yeah. birds, or did she have others? Uh, well, she would have certain birds for a little bit in here and there, but she, she, I mean, I don't think she ever had more than five or six birds at any given time, at least yeah. when I was growing up. But yeah. she would clean the cage methodically because she didn't want seed everywhere and poop everywhere. And uh, after, I mean, I was probably fourteen, maybe fifteen at the time, and mm-hmm. she had gone in for you know a checkup or whatever, and the doctor's like, "I hear something weird in your chest." She's like, can we do an x-ray? She's like, of course. And like, there's this stone and they're like, it's not in your lung. It's on your lung. And it's, it seems to be calcium. She's like, it's like your oxygen levels are good. Everything's good. But then the doctor basically attributed it from breathing that in because other people like in bird farms and stuff, you know, have thousands of birds. They all get this calcified crap in their lungs from breathing it in. Interesting. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah, Eric had a good point with the hornworms. That that could be uh, that could be interesting, you know. Yeah. Trying hornworms. It seems too like of all the boiga, especially like cynodon, seem to be 
very heavy into the avian sure avian yeah, gray yeah. in comparison well, to, to melanota and cyan yeah. and all the other smaller species and stuff yeah even my adults right. um i'll put you know i put chicken eggs in the the cage you know ad lib you know just so yep. that they have you know and um my male's eating five chicken eggs in in a, in a sitting you know and um yeah it's really cool to to watch them eat that and and to find to be honest i mean maybe chicks aren't very expensive but i feel like i feel like the prices of everything is going up you know oh, over yeah. the last couple of years without a doubt and um without a doubt and man eggs eggs are, are i mean it's just about the easiest prey source you can find you know so right right um <laughs> how, do, how do the babies um how do the baby cynodon react to the resist resisting of the prey because like i was like eric mentioned hornworms i think it's a fantastic yeah. idea but i just was thinking hornworms when they get preyed upon they thrash around a lot and mm -hmm. they have all those sticky legs and they'll kind of curl it around you know and mm -hmm. obviously a gecko doesn't care a gecko just shakes it off but mm -hmm. i wonder if that might be how like how well do they do, does that entice them to to eat more because the prey is fighting back or is it uh, yeah i i don't know I don't know. That's a good question. Um, that's a really good question. I don't, I don't know the answer. Not having seen, not having given them an opportunity to, you know, express any of that behavior. I, I really don't know how they would, uh, how they would react. So. Yeah. But how long was yeah. the incubation on the Synodon? 107. Um, okay. let's see here. 102 days. 111 days, 107, 108, 107. So my average, you know, it's right there around 107 or so. And um, did yours come out the top of the, like the, the end of the egg? Because I noticed with the cyania, a lot of them, instead of just coming out like the middle, like you would see with mm -hmm. corns or really any other snake. And it seems like this is the case with a lot of the true Ganyasoma too. So your oxys and your Jansenai, mm -hmm. um, they come out like the end of the egg. Like for mm -hmm. whatever reason, that seemed like the the, the exit point for, for pretty much all of them. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, you know, so all of those, all of those species have really oblong, like oblong mm -hmm. eggs, you know? And I wonder if that's, that's more a reason for that more than anything else is, you know, if you're, if you're pushing up against something, you're naturally going to find the corner, right. And the corner being the end. Um, so, Yes, they came out of the end of the egg, but I wouldn't say it was a hard and fast rule of, you know, that that was where they all exited from, and mm -hmm. there wasn't any slices in the middle of the egg. I don't necessarily think that that that's uh, that that's true, but um, I did have a couple uh, with this last clutch, you know, dead in the egg, and you could tell that they had tried to uh, slit the egg, but they were on the bottom of the clutch. So like mm -hmm. where they were trying to pip was was directly underneath another egg. So they're basically pipping into another egg, and and I think they just ended up drowning. So um, so for going forward now, I think I'm going to take greater precaution um, with those with those eggs that are underneath. You know that once everything starts hatching, to to make sure that those ones have an exit. You know, so that they don't pip into another egg. The shells on mine seemed. Ab unusually thick in comparison thick. to other other eggs yes. too that I've I've had my hands on. Like it was super thick. Yeah, it was kind of. I had a handful die in the egg as well, and I kind of wasn't all that surprised because it's like 
Yeah. They've got to have a hell of an egg tooth to be able to cut through this because it's just. Yeah. Ridiculous. And yet they do. I've never pipped a single one, you know, and uh, I've never manually, you know, cut open a single one that 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 was alive. And um, yeah, it it blows me away every time that they can get out because it's just a super weak, fragile, frail yeah. little snake, you know, and uh, uh, they make it. They make it, man. So. Do you think the the thickness of the egg wall is attributed to prey and and or calcium that mom takes in prior to you know prior to pairing or prior to laying or whatever? Because like pa Chris Panshop was telling me about the, you know the matratas, he's like once you start doing breeding season, he cuts off the calcium because the 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 dusting of the crickets is just too much for them to produce an egg that's hatchable and he's had mm. several geckos not be able to get out because the egg wall is just that thick that's interesting yeah um i know in in one of the papers um you, you know i mean back in the day uh one of the papers about Sinodon, um they had mentioned i think it was signed on either sign or sign a actually uh, it could have been oklahoma zoo um sign a but they had talked about the the eggs being super thick and almost attributing it to um if it was attributed to the calcium in the water right i don't i don't think that's true i think we've i think we've we've learned more than that i don't think that's necessarily true so so yeah whether it's um and then i don't know if it's necessarily too much calcium right so beings that snakes eat whole prey how can they you know, this is why snakes suffer from so few vitamin deficiencies, right? Is because they eat whole prey items. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 I don't know. I, I, that's over my head. I mean, I, I don't, um, I'm not sure, but I would find it hard to believe that a snake would get too much of any vitamin um, eating whole prey, you know? And I've had people, I can't believe how many people have, have cautioned me from feeding them eggs. And it's like, oh man, you shouldn't feed them eggs because, they'll get fat or you shouldn't feed them eggs because it's too much calcium or you shouldn't feed them eggs because they're um, deficient in some way. Right. And I just think, okay, okay first of all, there's never been a fat dog tooth cat snake in the history of the world. <laughs> like it just doesn't, that yeah. just doesn't happen, yeah. you know? And uh, like, how can they don't like, they don't digest most of the shell. So in the urates, you can see it, it looks like mostly shell. So, I feel like the, you know, being too much calcium, um, doesn't jive. And then, um, yeah, anyway, I like it. I'm gonna keep well, doing it. Let me, let me ask you this, uh, and not to get morbid, but of this, of the cynodon that you have had pass that were of necropsyable size, mm -hmm. did you necropsy them and see if there was any high concentration of fat at all? I mean, despite them being an extremely lean, uh, snake in appearance yeah it wouldn't shock me if it's something like some of the pseudonagia that are yeah pseudonagia that have like marbling of fat and not just the fat like we expect to see in between muscle. right right yeah so uh, even a healthy adult cynodon if, if you hold it up to the light you can see through it um so and then the adults that i got that i said died the the problem with them wasn't necessarily uh the problem with them was that I got them from Joe Swatowski. Like that was the problem. Like they, they were, they were dead. They were dying before I got them. Right. And, um, 
uh, the best looking one lasted four days. Right. So um, they had a lot going against them when I, when I got them, they were already well behind the, the eight ball. But um, so, so yeah, to what, to, to, to what you're saying, even though they're a lean animal, I mean, certainly they've got to, they've got to have some sort of reserves because that's what makes follicles that makes eggs right but um but i i don't see i've never been able to get one too heavy i'll say that you know like they they have a fast metabolism they 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 defecate a lot and um and they're they're pretty active they're they're rarely sedentary um at night the only time i i see them really sedentary is is approaching a shed and then um right before egg laying so I don't know. I've never cut one open. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> I did have some uh, necropsy. Uh, those those from that I'd gotten from Joe, I did send those to Florida for necropsy. But um, I don't remember a uh, any. Of course, they wouldn't have mentioned anything in terms of fat reserves. You know, yeah. since that would yeah. you know that kind of be irrelevant to sure sure to the study. And, they, and it doesn't strike me as a species that's going to retain anything that's not necessary does that make sense right yes yeah, yeah like we, like we yeah. hear about many species that, that hold on to a particular vitamin for a particular reason and then other species that say no you know what i'm healthy enough i'll just poop it out so sure yeah 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 i was talking to someone at one point about the about the egg eggs and the the thickness of the shells in in boiger in particular and i don't remember who it was it might have been nipper might have been rob uh rob stone but they had a someone had, had mentioned something about possibly they were thicker because of environmental conditions like well and they have where they come from being so wet or it yeah. being drier and that somehow helps protect them from one of those two extremes which made sense and, to me yeah that, uh, that makes and, sense to me and is there some sort of correlation with length of incubation right so right right are monitor eggs thick our monitor eggs is like a, a you know a similar thickness, right? Because if you think of it like the thinnest shelled snake eggs, I think of python eggs, which have the shortest incubation period, mm -hmm. you know. And um, so I wonder if that's part of it too. In that, you know, like I know Molendorfi have long incubation periods. Some of these Southeast Asian rat snakes, and they have long incubation periods and really thick shells. So, it, is is it? is that the reason why, right? Like, is it a protection, you know, right. from desiccation or, you know, the, the fact that, you know, you're going a hundred days for incubation. That's, that's more than one. That's either a full season or more than one. You know what I mean? You're, right. there's a lot of temperature variation that can occur um, in a hundred days, you know, almost anywhere in the world. So yeah, super interesting. So. Yeah. It also it reminds me of like most of the Dramarcon eggs that have like the, I don't even know if you'd call it amniotic fluid that crystallizes on the outside of the egg and forms like almost dragon skin where yeah. the egg is almost, it's abrasive to touch, you know, yeah. it's very, very abrasive. And, you know, they, they talk about how it, it repels moisture because of the different uh, surface area on the outside of the egg. It actually beads moisture away. And it also is a deterrent from predators because when an animal goes to put it, the egg in its mouth, it's spiky, but yeah, at the same time, it, it is a very, it could be a very similar ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So granted, you have areas that are more highland where a lot of these, you know, Dramarcon are laying, but 
you also have a lot of swampy nut yuck, you know? Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's a thick egg. So I don't know. Yeah. I know. Um, have you handled crocodile eggs? No. They're, they, they, they feel like, like glass. Like when you, when you rub them together, I mean, when you rub them together, like they're like glass, they're not leathery like a like a snake egg or a lizard egg or something like that they're they're harder than that but they're not like a chicken egg either um but um in in australia i worked at a crocodile farm for a while and we we um like i was able to collect some eggs there and it's just the the texture and the the feel i mean it, they just were so different than anything that i'd ever experienced it was really really interesting really cool and you know after they pulled them so the way that they would process them is after they would pull them that you know you put them in a bucket and then you would uh, fill up this other bucket with a diluted um, antifungal uh, solution and you'd fill the bucket full. And then you'd take the bucket with the eggs in it that had all these holes in it and you would completely submerge the bucket of eggs in this antifungal solution. And the first time they told me to do that, I was like, I, I'm not doing that. This isn't OK. Yes, yeah, this is not like that's how you kill eggs It's like I'm not doing that. And they said, no, it'll be fine. And um, they completely submerge it in this antifungal solution. Uh, I don't remember the, the time, you know, whether it was 30 seconds or 15 seconds. I don't remember that. Um, or even, I mean, it was a while ago. I don't know. It could have been three minutes. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, they would do that before they pulled them out and set them up in the incubation. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I still remember that. I was just like, there's, I wouldn't do it the first time. I was like, I, there's no way I'm putting those eggs underwater. <laughs> there's no way. And uh, so they had to do it for me. And just, oh, this is just how we process them. So, wow. Yeah, super cool. Super cool. But uh, <laughs> how's, the, uh, how's the, oh, go ahead, Phil. Oh, I was going to say, I get nervous wiping an egg off with, you know, blue chlorhex on a paper towel, <laughs> yeah, let alone yeah. dunking it, you know? Oh, yeah, geez. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I got a kick out of listening to, um, uh, man, who was it? I don't remember. It was Ron St. Pierre, I think, who was talking about, um, Maybe San Diego Zoo was one of the first zoos that, that learned how to hatch um, Burmese python eggs. They had a Burmese python that laid eggs in its enclosure, and, and most of them were in the, the water feature. And so they they rescued them from the water feature, and those are the ones that hatched, you know, because they, really? they weren't incubating them in a high-humidity environment before. And, um, and then that was like the click that was like, oh, okay, they need higher humidity. The missing you know? beast, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, Interesting. But uh, – yeah. You, were you going to ask me about the building? Yeah. How's the building coming along? It's coming. Um, it's, uh, it's coming. So I finished the, well, I started the, the drywall for the, the small room. So the building is 14 by 36. Um, wow. <clears throat> it's got three rooms in it. There's a, uh, the main room is uh, 14 by 18. Um, that's what I call the main room, the warm room. That's where most of the collection will go. And then the inner room is 14 by 10. That's where the diamonds and the rhinos will go. Um, so that'll obviously, that'll be a cooler room. And then the final room is, it's 14 by eight. And that'll be the the rodent room. I was thinking that it would be rodent room slash quarantine room. Although I don't know how smart it is to keep the quarantine stuff in with the food right. that you're feeding everything. So I think actually what I'm going to end up doing is having the quarantine be in the in the, my garage is actually a complete separate building and everything um and then that'll just be the rodent the rodent room but the way the building is the the only two doors are on the ends so you can't access 
the small room, which, you know, rodents or quarantine or whatever it is, you can't access that room with any of the other rooms. Um, but, um, it's been, it's, it's blood, sweat and tears, man. I tell you, it's been, um, <coughs> I researched it a lot at getting a, a, a prefab building, you know, that I could yeah. just bring in and then finish myself. And for the, the standard size on these, you know, tough sheds or whatever these sheds, you know, that you get delivered is, is 12 feet. And the reason it's 12 feet is because that's how wide the roads are. So you can get a wider oh. shed. Okay. But it's, it requires a, um, it requires a, a oversized load permit, which requires more like a pilot car. And, you know, it, it, it requires more. So it costs more. <clears throat> and um, so I really wanted it to be wider than 12 feet. And, um, and then I was initially thinking 28 feet. So, so dimensions are generally in, um, in denominations of four, right? So you're 12 feet, you're 16, you're 24, you're 32. And that's because lumber comes in four by eight sheets. Mm -hmm. All right. And, um, so I was initially going to go like 12 by 28 and then it was 14 by 28. And then I was looking at the space and I thought, well, why not just use all the space that I had in this section of the yard, which would be um, that 14 by 36. And um, so that's what I did. And I think, um, I think building it, <laughs> Billy, what's up? Nice. So <coughs> the, that's what I did. And then I also wanted to build it portable. I don't know that it is portable, <laughs> but I built it on, um, on blocks. So it's not on a solid foundation but I built it on blocks. Um, there's over 300, uh, concrete blocks that my 70 year old, you know, mother and father helped me carry down the hill from this road to the backyard in the nice. rain, no less. Nice. And, uh, both ways. Yeah. They came, um, <laughs> they came out. My mom is a very, a very go getter, just do it. Um, what are we waiting for type person? And she knew, you know, we bought the house in the end of June, moved into July. And she was just like, have you built your building yet? Have you built your building yet? Like, what are you waiting for? You know, just, just do it, just do it. And so next thing I know, they're coming to visit. And, uh, so it was like, See, they basically came, for. Yeah, yeah, they came to, uh, to help me get started. And, um, <clears throat> so that was, and that was a huge help. I needed that. Right. So while they were here, uh, we were able to do the foundation, um, get the, 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 the floor completely done. Um, <clears throat> we insulated the floor with, um, goodness, two, four, six, I think six inches of rigid foam. So the floor is completely insulated. Uh, and then I was building the trusses when they left. So then, uh, yeah, we got the trusses and walls out. What I did is I searched the internet for shed plans and then I expanded them. If you're going to build something of that size, I would recommend searching for house plans and shrinking them <laughs> because, and the reason I say that is because I, sheds aren't built to be insulated, right? Nobody really cares if a shed is insulated or if it's finished or if it has power, or especially if it has water or anything like this. And so um, the gable ends, especially, you know, my walls <clears throat> go up, the two by fours are, you know, perpendicular to the sheeting. But my gable ends, because of the way I built the trusses, 
the uh, the two by fours are, are are flat to the sheeting, right? <clears throat> and so it makes it much more difficult if you're gonna if you're gonna finish it with drywall, if you're gonna insulate it and then put drywall over it. Because now instead of having a three and a half inch wall, you have a inch and a half inch wall because the two by four is flipped. And so that was that was just one of these hurdles that I had to like, oh crap, like okay, how am I gonna do that, right? And um and then the other thing could you could you have put another piece of two by four you know perpendicular to it yes or or, or just sandwich it right so okay. what i ended up doing on the interior and in, on the interior walls for the for the gables in between the you know the the cool room and the rodent room and in between the cool room and the hot room what i did is i i finished it all the way up to the ceiling because i'm going to leave it open um i'm not going to i'm not drywalling the ceiling i'm not drywalling the rafters or anything right it's just going to be open and um, so for the gable ends, I did, I, I sandwiched a, you know, a half inch piece of, um, of plywood and then another two by four so that it, so that it was a full three and a half inches. And then, <coughs> and then I had them spray foam in between that on the gable ends. So the entire ex exterior and this, and the roof are all open cell spray foam. And, um, and I just finished hanging the drywall in the rodent room. So now the, the drywall needs to be, um, for the other two rooms, then mudding and taping and then painting. Um, the electrical has already been roughed in. Water is, is, it's already got water and power running to it. Um, and the electrical has been roughed in. Um, and then after the drywall is done and it's painted and everything, they don't have the electricians come back out and they'll finish it. Nice. So, yeah. Cause but, I was, I was actually, I'm glad you brought up the whole insulation thing because I was curious about it because you're having a hot room, you're having a cool room, you're having a normal yeah. room, right? How, how you were going to feather that insulation where, where the, is it going to be the same density on both the cool and the hot, but one has lamps and the other one doesn't, or is it tailored to the ecosystem, so to speak? So everything is insulated the same, meaning the entire exterior is, is insulated the same. They're just like, five and a half or six inches of open cell foam on the ceiling. And there's three and a half inches on the walls. And then um, <clears throat> the interior walls are, uh, are insulated with rock wool. And I thought for the longest time about making the interior walls two by built out of two by sixes instead of two by fours to give them that extra thickness. But I'm, I'm planning on installing uh, Mr. Cool uh ductless mini split and and heaters that and i'm doing a three zone so every single room will have its own air handler that's awesome and each one of those air handlers could handle the entire building let alone you yeah. know the, the one room that it's in so so the yeah the, so the temperature control is definitely overbuilt um and i so i i don't think it's going to be uh I mean, knock on wood, I don't think it's going to be a problem, but it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how much of a fluctuation can you get between, you know, can I get my diamonds and rhinos down to 55, you know, when my, my warm room is, you know, 85 in the daytime, you know, I don't know if we can have that, you know, is it going to start raining in the doorway, you know, with the hot air and the cool air? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be the rat room and just start hear thunder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm really sweat. Um, I've heard that with a lot of people that when, when they would, they'd build these rooms and 
having it so warm inside, the walls would sweat, you know, from the condensation. I'm hoping with the open cell foam um, and having enough uh, air circulation in there, I'm hoping that they don't, they don't sweat. But um, I'm taking precautions, like all the drywall I'm using is, um, you know, mold resistant, uh, you know, what you would use in a bathroom, right. that drywall. And, um, but that's good, but super pumped. I'm so pumped for, I got, I got sinks in there. I've got a hot water heater. Um, nice. And, uh, I was like this close to putting a shower in it. Um, <laughs> it <laughs> well, and, you, um, you could, you could always put, uh, like when I had my ice cream shop, we had a shower in the back of the ice cream shop, but it wasn't like for you to take a shower. And it was basically like just a section of tiled floor yeah. with like a little, with like six inch wall. So it didn't spill yep. over. So I could like watch out mop buckets and everything. A lot of, a lot of grocery stores have those in their, in the back room. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that would, that could be very helpful. So, and I will say this, when I first got my hot room that I have now, uh, it, it took me a little while to feather the temperature yeah. because I was pumping in super cold AC to get the cross breeze and to have the, a good night drop. And I got major condensation at like dusk and, and, and like into nightfall and it would yeah. drip and there'd be water all over the floor and the drywall got all weird and wobbly because of that. So I went yeah. up putting like drip pans on top of vision cages and stuff. Wow. I would say definitely put like a paint roller pan or something there for the first yeah. couple of nights until you figure out, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah, it'll. I, I'm. I'm a. I really hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, better, better safe than sorry, you know. I mean, Absolutely. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have like massive condensation everywhere. Like there was no beer can on the room, you know. But I definitely got a good amount of condensation from the actual AC vent itself, where yeah. the cold air was coming out. So. Yeah. 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 How I'm, did you? I'm excited about it. How did you determine what size? you wanted to upgrade to though. Cause that's sort of where I'm at. Like I want to do a separate building at some point, be it a shed yeah. or something similar. But my concern is so, so Katie doesn't want me to get anything too big. Obviously yeah. I don't want something that's going to take up the entire backyard, but I also don't want something too small. I don't want to go through all of this and shove, you know, shell out all this money for something like this only to move into something that's pretty much the same size as what I'm working with now, if not a little smaller. Right. Right. So it's like, how do you go about figuring out what, how much extra you wanted, be it, you know, I want 20% more than what I'm working with now. Was mm -hmm. there a certain sort of number in mind with, with what you were using before and, and what you're moving into? Quite honestly, I knew I wanted, I knew I wanted multiple rooms. Um, I've, 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 re I've been able to kind of finagle, you know, like keeping all these different species and, and trying to manipulate temperatures and, you know, yeah. which generally just ends up like moving the diamonds, you know, from room to room based on the season. Um, You're an expert juggler. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, I, and I wanted to put an end to that. So I knew I wanted multiple rooms. Um, and then, and then I knew that I wanted it just wider than a typical shed. So if you were building like, you know, a building on a, on a slab, then I think you could, uh, you know, you'd have more to think about, I think. But for me, uh, the reason that I wanted it, you know, quote unquote temporary or not temporary, but portable. So 
technically this shed is portable. Like so it could be moved. Right. <laughs> and the, the reason that I wanted it that way is because um, when my wife and I, we've moved a lot because we've been married for almost, it'll be seven years now. And um, we've moved one, two, three, four, five, six times in seven years. Oh. Right. Um, and, wow. and, and, and we've had, we've had the, I, I've had the snake collection the whole time, right? Like it's grown and, and whatever, but when you're, when you're house hunting, it makes, it makes like what I'm looking for in a house is solely, okay, where am I going to put the animals? Yeah. Like that's, that's what <laughs> that's I'm looking for. That's what it for, was right? for me when we were, yeah. when we were shopping. <laughs> yeah. So, so she can show me like this gorgeous, beautiful house, you know? And, and I'm just like, yeah, but where are we going to put snakes? You know? And, and it kind of became this, this, um, this area of contention, not, not necessarily that, that we were arguing about it, but I didn't want to have to start all over every time. Right. So right. every single house I had, I had a different room that I had to figure out. I had to figure out where I was going to put stuff, where stuff would fit. And, um, and I didn't want to do that. So I was like, how great would it be if I built a room? One, it's out of our house, right? That makes everybody ha happy. Mm -hmm. Two, um, it's dedicated, right? So it's built how you want it to. You're not taking a, a spare bedroom and trying to make it into something, right? It's like, no, like I've got the outlets where I want them. I've got the power where I want them. I got different breakers. I got water. I got hose hookups indoors. Like you're never going to have that in a, in a guest bedroom, right? Yeah. No one has a spigot in their upstairs hallway. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I was like, so we'll build it for its purpose and then if we ever move again well now one if we're showing the house because this was the thing right when we were in texas it was like there's no way we can show a house with a room in the garage full of snakes right yeah. and so we we moved completely out of the house before we ever listed it um and i was like okay well now if we ever sell this house we can just say that's that that doesn't come with it like we're taking that with us um, so that's not an issue, right? So we've got freedom there. And then if we do, you know, if we take it with us, well, now I don't have to start all over, you know, at the next place, the next property, um, with a collection. So that was the thought. Will I ever move this building? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I ever TBD. will. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but that, that was the thought of, you know, that's why it's not on a permanent foundation. It wasn't put, built on a slab, all that. And uh, I'm sure you had way less physical permits as well because it was not a permanent structure. Um, <clears throat> pro yeah, probably. I, I don't know. I don't know what the I don't know if that's true or not. But, yeah, you're, you're probably right. I mean, um, I pulled permits on it and, you know, they said, yeah, sure. You know, it just they just wanted to make sure it wasn't close to, um, you know, they, they have set certain setbacks from property lines. And right. usually those, those are five or 10 feet, you know, mm -hmm. from property lines and mine's 50 feet, you know, from a property line. So, yeah. um, so that was fine. I just said, don't build it over 20 feet tall, you know? And then, you know, like that was the only stipulation. Like it, it has to be under 20 feet tall. And then in my mind, I was like, Oh, two, two floors. Should I do two stories? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but to answer your question, build it as big as you can. Because like the commenter that just came up, you're never, ever going to say, oh, man, I wish I would have built it smaller. You're never going to say that. Right. 
um, you can always have more room, more room. Just too much space. Yeah. Like you're never going to say that. And, um, whereas, you know, how many, how many collections have you been to, or even, you know, animal facilities, right? Like, like think of, uh, um, prehistoric pets. Have you ever watched their videos when they're pulling retech eggs and he calls it the gauntlet, right? Okay. We're going through the gauntlet. It's like a hallway this big, you know? Um, I feel like it's very easy to fill the space and, um, and so, and not really, I, yeah, absolutely. Like it, like you can do it very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, so, so one, I wanted to have the space to where I would like, I I enjoy seeing my animals. And so I would love to have cages and I'd love to have big cages. Right. Sure. Um, but, if I make eight foot cages, you know, for my cynodon, I was like, that's good. That's good. It's a lot of space. That's a lot of space, you know? Well, that's like Um, Owen McIntyre always brings this up too, is like when he moved into his house, he, he, he didn't measure the room per se. He measured the floor space. He would be able to walk around once Mm -hmm. the enclosures were in there. So for example, if you've got a 10 by 10 room just to make things even, right. Yep. You you really don't because you have to cut into the room. If you yep. have a, a 10 by 10 yep. cube and you're yep. cutting into the room at least 24, dare I say 26 inches because you figure two foot yeah. depth of cage plus a couple inches as a buffer for maybe the stand it's on or wires. Yeah, well, that or and drywall too if you've added that. Yeah, well, I'm talking inside the drywall. Right. Right, you know what I mean? But, but yeah. And, that, and, that's, and that's on both sides. So really you're talking right. about four, four feet. Like right. a minimum four feet. Exactly. And, and and so that's where I was, you know, contemplating 12 feet or 14 feet, right? So if I go 14 feet wide, like you said, Justin, you got to take, uh, you got to take what, three and a half, three, you got to take almost eight inches for your two by four, your walls and your drywall. And so now you're 13 and a half feet, uh, you know, give or take, and then a little less than 13 and a half feet. And then you got to take four feet off of that. You know, so, so, and then that's your, that's your walking around. That's your working space, you know? And, um, and and that's at 14 feet, right? So if it was 12 feet, you know, now you're, now you're talking about like six feet of space. You know, I I don't want to be able to reach my hands out and touch both cages, you know? Um, well that, and when you're a freaking Sasquatch like me too, you know, you got to have room to, to move around. And like, I have a little table in my room. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just like that's my biggest fear is like getting it, getting a separate setup and trying to play by by the wife's rules. And then I yeah. end up moving everything in. It's like I have less space than I did when yeah. I moved them out of the, the spare bedroom. And it's like yeah. I do need something a little bigger, like mm-hmm. 10, 20 percent larger than what I have currently with maybe a little <laughs> extra for any you know, racks or cages I add to that down the road. If I get Kim's or if I get another, you know, XR 20 or something from black box, like, you know, I want to be able to, to work comfortably, have enough space to where if, Oh, you know, I have more stuff coming. I got to add a rack babies, you know, hatchling racks, stuff like that. So that's just, I'm so, I'm so worried that if I get something, I'm going to end up being like, this is exactly what I was afraid would happen. You know? Yeah. Then, you know, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I, I can no. remember my thought. Okay. I was, was going to say is Billy Hunt and I have a very, very similar room layout in, in the respect of how the cages are, but nobody ever takes into consideration the doorway and the threshold. So yeah. you don't want the door to open in and it's smacking a cage or 
do you have enough space to even put a cage behind the door per se? And mm-hmm. then do you have anything else in there like a garbage can for holding animals, a garbage can for garbage? Uh, Billy and I both have a wheelie cart that has mm-hmm. all of our, uh, you know, spray bottles and garbage bags and uh, caddy for my snake hooks and all that crap. So, like, mm-hmm. how much other stuff is in that floor space that you still need to negotiate around? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had um, – so in Texas, I had two-foot cubes. Uh, how many – two, four, six. I had two-foot cubes from the floor to the ceiling. And so in order to clean the top, I had to, I had to have a ladder. And <laughs> it's like a library with the wheels and the <laughs> – Yeah. And, and then in um, – you know, right now, I've got, I've got a couple racks. You know, I've got a Vision 11 rack. I've, I've got two Vision racks that are like 11 tubs tall, right? So – to get to the top, I, I have a ladder. So it's just one more stupid thing to have in the room. In this room, I don't want any racks above waist high. I want I want racks waist high and lower, and I want cages above, right? Because I want to be able to see my animals. And um, so that's ideally what I want. And then my favorite animal rooms that I see are ones that have negative space, right? That have, um, like you said, a table or an office or a, you know, a, a spot like a, a photo, uh, like a photo studio type mm-hmm. area that's just set up. You don't have to tear it down and set it up and tear it down and set it up. You can just, it's there, you know, all the time. Um, so all of that extra space, like I'd like to have space for a dedicated rain chamber, right? Where it's just, it's an enclosure, sure. it's a rain chamber and it's, yeah. it's always there, you know? Um, so I would, I would, I, I want to get away from trying to, fill the space up you know what i mean but at the same time it's a it's a little bit of our nature right it's like well we've got space the the 10 more animals isn't that much harder to take care of like sure let's do it um so i don't i don't want to do that and then you know to bring up you know a very well-known you know reptile room you know um the canova's facility um at justin's place like you ask him, like, how much bigger is this facility than your previous one? And he said, it's, yeah. or, or how many more animals, right? That's, that's the question. Like, how many more animals do you have in this facility than you did in the other one? And he said, I, I don't have any more animals in this one than I did in the last one. It's just I have more space now, right? Like, yeah. now, no matter where you go in, in his snake room, you're 15 feet away from a sink, right? Like, you don't have to go far to yeah, get yeah. to a sink and paper towels and things. And so um, that's one thing that, that I was trying to envision is like, okay, well, like I want more space and I want it to be accessible and I want it to be um, efficient, you know? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And- my, my buddy Marcus just, just built a new venomous room because he wanted it to be, he wanted it to be like yours. He wanted it to be a particular way. Yeah. And one of the things that he insisted on was so like, like I said, Billy and I have our wheelie cart. He wanted a legitimate, prep table he comes from the yeah. zoo world yeah and he got a stainless steel you know sterile prep table mm-hmm. that is like you know three and a half by two and a half right mm-hmm. and he sacrificed viable cage or enclosure real estate for this prep table and it wound up being it, it's a godsend anyway because it, you've got storage underneath you know for the mm-hmm. garbage bags and the spray bottles and all that crap and now if he wants to lay out prey items if he wants to assist feed something if he wants to take because he's got all his you know records and notes and everything's handwritten if he wants to lay down a ledger you know you've got a table to work with you know so yeah i I really want yeah like like i want it to be my office 
yeah. right? Like I want it to be my office. I want it to be a place of refuge. I want it to be a place to work. I want it to place to be efficient and have the systems and be, you know, yeah. So hopefully that's, that's what it becomes. That's the goal. And, um, yeah, You're on the right path, man. Yeah, when it's finished, I'd love to have you guys come up and, oh, absolutely. Uh, and check it out. So, oh yeah, I you know after dealing with the grain mites and stuff on my table recently, like you don't realize how much it sucks to not have a table until you don't have a table. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't want to put anything on it because it'd get covered in grain mites within you know half an hour. Finally, got rid of them all. I had to throw away all my my uh, bug colonies, but. Like I didn't want to put anything on there because I was like, if they get put on this and I put them, you know, if I have a tub in a rack and I put the tub back in the rack, now that rack's going to get covered in them. And it's like, they're not, they're not harmful or anything like that, but they're, they're a real pain. And it just, it was so frustrating not having a table and being like, if I did put stuff on it, I'd lay down a puppy pad Mm -hmm. so that there was at least a buffer. And Mm -hmm. it was just, it was, it was. Dude, I had a, I had a, a, a culture of hornworms that I forgot about and grain mites just, oh, yeah. just exploded. And I, I wild. They like show up overnight, dude, it was crazy. And now I have hundreds, if not thousands of little white specks infesting this entire black, beautiful sea serpents rack. Yep. And like, they're on the snakes. They're on geckos that were in that rack. They're frigging everywhere. And I literally wound up getting my vacuum and just vacuuming <laughs> them up. <laughs> Because like there's yep. no and like obviously they're gonna die off they're gonna go away they're not hurting anything but still like it was it's who yeah. wants that well I had, to, I had to like I said I had to toss my my mealworm colony my superworm colony like mm-hmm. everything because they weren't going anywhere until those were trashed yeah but I got rid of those and then I got some uh, like Clorox wipes or something and just wiped down that table like top to bottom like every inch mm-hmm. and I they so far it looks like they're all gone and I I I am victorious but. And I, I find myself, I sign my, I find myself setting things down on top of cages, right? Like, because I don't have anything to set stuff down on, right? So I set something down here, or set something down there, or, or you know, pull a pull a tub and put it on top of the garbage can so that I can work on, it, you know. And it's just like, this isn't, this isn't what I want, right? This isn't, a, you know. And then I'm losing things because I don't remember where I put them. I'm blaming them on the kids, you know, <laughs> like. I went through three headlamps. I was, I was certain my kids took them and hit them somewhere. And I, I got another headlamp and I told them I couldn't touch it. And then, um, and then I moved my toolbox, you know, and I ended up, I, I found my other three headlamps, you know? So um, yeah, just to have a place for everything and, and to have a system and, and all that stuff. I'm, I'm really looking forward to and having my level of care increase with, with the, the efficiency, right? Yeah. Like I want to be efficient I want to be efficiently taking care of my animals to the best that I can, you know, yeah. because that's another thing, you know, when you're, when you're just trying to make something work, it's, it, it's not efficient. It's not, it's not fair to the animal. It's not fair to the, my, my family, you know, the, sure. the time that it takes. And uh, I am interested to see what, what the flow looks like, because this is the furthest away my animals will have ever been from the house. Right. So the house that we were renting previously um, the snakes were in a detached garage, but it, it was 50 feet from the bedroom door, you know, whereas this is, it's a hundred feet from our back porch. So, um, yeah, I'm really curious to see what the workflow is going to be, you know, right now kids go to sleep. I go into the garage and, you know, feed stuff after everybody's asleep and stuff and then pop back in. But 
um, I think I'll have to be one I, again. I think I'll have to be more intentional on setting time, setting yeah. time and, yeah. and yeah. Uh, tasks to do on each day. You know? Yeah, even, even the, egg, the egg timer, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's as far as I'd want stuff to be, anyways. Because Jake had brought up one, up, you know, at one point he was like, "Dude, we should just get a separate place and like." you know put our stuff there and i'm like well i don't like having to drive to my collection and then i worry about mm -hmm. fires because it's like if i'm yep. not right there then by the time we figure it out the damage is done and like yeah it's it would be nice and all but it it's just like mm -hmm. i don't want to especially with with him living as far as he does from me yeah um he's like on the other side of the county you know so it's like i don't want to have to drive 20 minutes half an hour just to go take yeah. care of stuff like that's yeah. A, that's a, yeah it's a drain you know yeah and how often do you just do a walkthrough, right? Like you just do a walkthrough, right. you just look at, you know, and then you're back out. And, and just last week I did that and I found out one of my, one of my thermostats wasn't working, right? Like it showed it was reading hundred percent power, but all, everything was at room temperature. And, um, it's, it's, it's really my fault. I need to have the, the high low alarm set up on that, you know, so mm -hmm. that it would have alerted me. But, um, it's one of those things like, if something like that happens, you know, I mean, yeah. like, you know, yeah, I, that, that makes me nervous having it far away. You know, I, I don't see the, the benefit outweighing the, the cost and, um, yeah, but no, I, I know people agree. that do it, but yeah, I agree. And I, obviously if you have cert particular circumstances that require you to do so, then mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's no, that's not even talkable, but as a choice, I would much rather have things close to home. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'll tell you, just speaking about stuff in the room, so to speak, two of the best gifts I ever got in my life were from Anna Maria. She's wonderful. She bought me my Billy Hunt Willie cart, but she also got me my first chest freezer. And oh, yeah. Dude, yeah, what a lifesaver in so many regards. But yeah. have you made accommodations to have the ch a chest freezer or even a refrigerator in the new building? So I have a chest freezer now. And, um, I went from, I went from having a, a, a fairly big one, you know, like a four foot wide, you know, chest freezer. Sure. I got rid of that one to get a much smaller one. So it's kind of like the smallest one you can get, you know, it's like 20 inches wide, you know, three feet tall. Sure. And, um, and that's enough, but what sucks is everything you need is at the bottom always. Like just <laughs> if I need something, it's going to be at the bottom or I'll think I'm out of something and I'll assume like, oh man, I'm out of mice, but I've got plenty of small rats. I don't need to order small rats. I know they're in there. I order everything but small rats. And then I go to put it in there and there's no small rats. It's, I just assume they were in there in the bottom. Yep. They're yep. not in there. So um, I do have a chest freezer. What I would like to do is get an upright freezer um, and put an upright, upright freezer in there. That way, you know, you know, you got the, the pinkies on the door, you got the small rats on this shelf, medium sure. rats on this shelf, the chicks on this shelf. And um, just talking about the, you know, efficiency, I think like that would be super nice. Again, that's, that's a luxury um, for sure. But uh, if I can, if I can pull that off and find a affordable upright freezer, that's what I'd like to do. Jake and I are going to get one for Smith Farms at some point. Nice. 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 Yeah. Imagine if it was glass, like it was just nice, yeah. just, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, you can, you can always find like they have those, um, uh, when the grocery stores, they have mm -hmm. the whole freezer aisle. Well, every yeah. so many years they, they ditch them, you know, you just yeah. find a single unit, you know? 
and you'll have your glass front with the door. That would be cool. Yeah, LED light when you open Facebook it up. Facebook Marketplace, yeah. man. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was selling a, a chest freezer for like 50 bucks on there the other day, and Katie was like, oh, you should get it. I'm like, I've literally been telling you I want one forever, and you have <laughs> given me a hard time about where it would go, and I'm like, now you're telling me I can? Like, what? Is this a trick? So where, where are your rodents? Are they, in your, are they in your personal freezer? Like in the refrigerator freezer? Uh, when I have some in my freezer, yeah, they're in our in the kitchen in the freezer in a bag wrapped up so my wife can't see their faces okay okay yeah i i just assumed everybody had a a freezer full of rodents like me you know no Um, i mean anytime i have like a a bulk amount um like my rodents are my parents house as far as like the breeding and stuff oh Um, that's right you raise your own Yeah. yeah yeah but i like we vacuum seal them and stuff and then my parents have one of those upright freezers that they store you know, when shrimp season rolls around, they load up on shrimp and stuff and I'll, I'll keep yeah. them in there. I have a separate little section in there that I'll keep mice in and that thing works really well. But yeah, the upright ones are definitely nice and I would prefer to have that if I had a choice, but mm-hmm. mm-hmm. got to work with what I got. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I did the, uh, the small freezer on top of the refrigerator thing, like with the frozen hot pockets and whatever else the hell was in there for a long time. And then, like I said, Anna Marie got me that one. And it's kind of a blessing and a curse because now you have the space to really put rodents. You're not taking away from human food space, but yeah. now you have the space to fill it. So yeah. your rodent bill was, you know, X amount. Now it's triple because yeah. you want to fill it, you know? Yeah. Well, I like the chest yeah. freezers and the fact that, the you know, they open from the top. You don't have to worry about it not yeah. being closed all the way because yeah. – for a while, I was keeping mice in the freezer. So my dad in the in the garage also has a fridge with a freezer on top, um, you know, like a split, whatever, yeah. normal freezer refrigerator. Right. Um, and there was a point in time where, for whatever reason, that door, you'd have to, like, slam, <laughs> slam the hell out of it to get it to close all the way. And I there was a couple of times where I, I had mice get, like, semi-defrosted, and I don't know for how long, so I ended up having to pitch them. And that's when I started moving him into that that stand up freezer that he had. And, you know, I don't think he was all that thrilled about it. But I was like, look, I'm not. I keep having to throw away mice because of this this one on top. But yeah, yeah, it yeah. Just, yeah. I, I told my wife, you know, we when we were in an apartment, and again, I had you know, I had all the rodents in the regular freezer right next to the ice cream and everything. Uh, I said, I said, you know, every time I open the freezer, I, I, I hear you say that you love me, right? Because because the snakes are not her thing. Rodents certainly are not her thing, you know? Right, right. And I said, like, nothing tells me that you care about me and, and more than seeing <laughs> uh, a, a medium rat next to the, you know, Hagen dazs you know? And, uh, but, uh, yeah, but that was you know, an adjustment for mine at first when yeah. we first got the house and moved in and stuff. She wasn't all that thrilled about it. Now she just, she's like my mom at this point. She's like, whatever. It is yeah, what it is. Yeah. She's used to it and she just, but on those chest freezers, <clears throat> you got toddlers running around like I do. They love to turn dials, and mm. my kids have more than once turned that dial all the way to to you know the lowest setting to where um, I open the freezer and I'm like it's it's like room temperature. Like what's going on? And I said, like, oh my gosh! So I finally turned it to the temperature it needed to be, and then taped over it. So they, <laughs> put a little one of those clear lock boxes over it, like they do with the thermostats, just, like corporate just, offices. I just taped it over completely so they couldn't see it, but. Yeah, they love to to do that, and then my my radiant oil filled heater. They like to turn that dial too. Of course. So, um, I've caught I've caught that on the low setting for quite a while. So I'm looking forward to getting rid of those, you know, getting rid of those heaters and 
and uh, and having everything you know dedicated out there. So that was yes. below the belt, Bill. Keep the gloves up. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what do you say? I didn't see it. He said another Smith fan member with a door closing issue. <laughs> Damn. Uh, man. How are the how are the rhinos doing? Awesome. Good. Yeah. Good. Um both of them eat without hesitation. You know, I just drop a I, I usually feed them live pinkies because that's just what I have on hand typically. Um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they both just destroy them. So that, yeah, yeah. I mean once they get going, I love it. There's they're they're predators once they get going, man. Mm-hmm. And and their enclosures are shimmed, correct? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> just just making sure. Just making sure. Dude, I know I've told Terry this before, but like words cannot describe how bad I felt when that first yeah. rhino disappeared forever, yeah. and I had to tell him because I was like, dude, that was a gift, it, and I was for, like, dude, I feel like such an ass. I was like, for what it's worth, gone and it's long gone. For what it's worth, it was a solid ten days of. Man, I can't believe this happened. Yeah. Like, what am I gonna do, man? Terry's gonna hate me forever, man. Like solid ten days. Well, you know, so um a guy a guy'd come down, uh Zach's his name, he's up in Charlotte, he got a rhino. And the next day he told me he'd lost it. And uh and I was just like, Okay. So with, like, it's your rhinos, it's not us, it's just the snake. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I've got that's the, what I'm getting from this. Then I've got the, ho- the, the Houdini rhinos, I guess. Yeah, and um, he was <laughs> oh, just like, good. you know, again, it was you know he was distraught and everything, and and had had it a day, you know, and um, I said that's that's fine. Like, just let me see you. Know, like, let me know if you find it, or like, let me know. Like, you know, don't give up. You know that kind of thing. And then, um, like the next day, I'd asked him about it, and he said, "Oh no, actually." It was in the cage the whole time. I don't know where it was. He's like, he's like, we lost it. I looked everywhere in the cage. It was not in the cage. He said, then we had like, they, I don't know, like the next day they had dinner and they come back and it's basking, you know? And, and, uh, so I was like, all right, good deal. I had one, I used to have, um, live pothos plants in the cages and I I thought Mm -hmm. I'd lost one. And, uh, I was just like, cause I had an envision cage, which I did lose one in a vision cage, um, through the sliding glass. And, um, and I was like, I thought I'd lost the other one. And I was like, no, I tore everything apart. Couldn't find it and everything. I was like, gosh, you know, and put every, put everything back. Fortunately, I closed the glass and, um, the snake was just, she was burrowed in the potted plant. She was burrowed in the dirt, you know? And so eventually she came out and where she was, but yeah, one of my bigger ones was, was not, he's normally almost always out hanging out on the print on the perches. So I was like, I didn't see him and he wasn't in the water bowl. And so I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. And so then I started digging around. He had, he had buried himself in the, in the Cypress bunch. So I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. As long as you're in yeah. there, I don't care. Yeah. And that, that's, again, that's, that's the nice thing about, you know, building a dedicated room is it doesn't take that much to make a room snake proof, you know? Yeah. Agreed. And, oh, yeah. And so, and so it's nice, you know, it, ideally, it, about, it was like $15 in a, in a door sweep and shims <laughs> all my problems. There you go. Yeah. And so then, you know, when something's, when something's out or you can't find something or whatever, like, it's like, all right, well, it's just, it's here, 
you just have to find it. Yeah. But yeah, that's my best... the nice thing is like when something's loose, I know now for sure the yeah. likelihood of it being in that room is about 99.999%. Yeah. My favorite story, again, a runner rat snake. Uh, I, I, it was in a vision rack, lost it. And then we, uh, it was a while later. I want to say it was like weeks later. Um, that's when I, I was working on an oil rig. So I was two weeks on, two weeks off. So I'd be, I'd be gone for two weeks at a time every month. And, um, anyway, my, the, the vision rack was like a cage or two cages away from the, my stack of, uh, uh, bar cages that, um, I had annulated tree boys in mm-hmm. and I had a three quarter inch hole drilled into the side of the, the cage. And initially it was for a, uh, a miss King nozzle. Yep. But I, I just didn't have a nozzle in there. That's where I put my temperature probe, you know, for my thermostat and everything. And I saw that the the boa had shed. There's a shed skin in there. And I was like, oh, cool. Okay. Shed. I'll pull that out. I pull it out. And the shed has a horn on it. <laughs> and I'm just like looking at it. And it, I'm like, what is going on right now? And I lift the hide box. And there's the rhino rat snake nestled up with the annulated tree boa. I'd been in there for been in there for weeks while I was gone. Wow. But then it was like, oh, okay, this makes total sense. It got out of the rack, climbed across the cage, found that hole, went in, and just hung so, out. The Milo yeah. and Otis of the the Burwell house. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was wild. That was that was a good time. I love them to death. Was, yeah, things are just a freaking blast. Yeah, it's, and you got bar- you got Barons too now, right? I have one now, thanks to one Jason Keller. Yeah. Yes. Say he, I, as much so for the longest time in our little our little group chat, I was talking about how it'll be impossible for me to love anything more than rhinos that are in that like rhino category, which basically is barons and rhinos. And so he, he ended up he 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 gave me one of his holdback mails, and he's like, "Keep this, and let me know if your tune changes." And he's he, that he's convinced that it will, and that I'll like the barons more than the rhinos. But <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, what's your dude? What's your I'm convinced. I'm convinced you're 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 gonna. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> they're well, they're they're completely different snakes for sure, right? And I hated on Baron's racers for the longest time because I was like, they have they have a inferior horn, right? Their nose right. is inferior. It's like, not even it's barely even a horn, I, 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 right? Like I a, mean. I mean, Phil, you're going to get Gasparetti or you're going to get Serastes, right? I mean, Serastes is just an inferior horn, right? Well, well, all right. So here's the thing. <laughs> Coming from someone who collectively owns like 25 Serastes, Serastes, one day I will have the Gasparettis. Okay. Okay. But the only reason why I have so many of the other ones is because I can't get fucking Gasparettis. <laughs> right. 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 Here's, a, here's a man who has both as well. Oh, there you go. Kevin yeah. in the house. And so, um, so I hated on them for a long time and then I ended up getting them and it was like from, I got a trio of, of babies and the moment I got them, I was just like, this is a completely different snake, right? Like completely different. And, um, which is obvious, right? I mean, it's, of course it's on the opposite side of the world. It's a different environment. You know, it's, it's, of course it's different, but, um, having not interacted with them for very much, uh, I, I don't know why I assume them to be similar at all, but yeah, Baron's racers are racers for sure. Um, and the uh, one I have is quick. 
Like yeah, when that, yeah. When that dude wants to move, man, he, <laughs> he moves. Just, just wait until they get four or five feet long, and they're still that fast. And um, I just, it, it's so fortunate that they don't bite, right? Because they are so fast. Um, they can, they can be out and in your lap, but you know, before you know it, and you're just, you're just, 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 you know, bite the chick, bite the chick, you know, bite the, you know, eat yeah, the mouse, don't yeah. eat me, and. Uh, I've never had one even remotely uh, think that it was going to bite me. Right. And, um, uh, but their feeding response is something mm-hmm. else. I mean, they are, they're something else. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I love them both. I think for a, uh, but I'll say this, I don't send a warning with when I, when I, in the package, when I send, when I sell rhino rat snakes, right. That's like, true. At some um, so, point, I'm going to do a video when I've had more time with the Barons that sort of compares the two, and that's going to be. I think that's why Rhino Rats will always sort of top that list. Is like mm-hmm. I can send these to someone and not have to worry about them a doing something stupid and then mm-hmm. being the first person to have a like a, a legitimate medically significant bite. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, with at least a big adult. Like I've seen some really big big barons and it's like just like with with a lot of the boyga like some of the huge melanota it's like you get bit by that thing man you're gonna feel it like you're gonna have a reaction i don't care what you say <laughs> you're gonna yeah. something's gonna happen um, <laughs> yeah and i um so so last year being the you know the first year that i ever sold any i was just like and all mine are blue so i'm like okay did somebody just find a blue snake on morph market and want to buy it you know and, right, and, right. and they don't know about it because um, and so I, I sent this, uh, this disclaimer essentially, you know, and, and it, it basically boils down. It says, you know, I don't think you're in any danger, but there are some things that I would never do with this snake. Right. I would never hand this snake for, to a minor. I would never, you know, free handle this snake, you know, and watch TV, you know, like that's, that's not what this animal is for. It's, it's not what I recommend doing. And then there's a, um, there's a paper that I cite, um, that talk about talks about the the effects of um father dry venom on humans and i just i just cite the paper i'm just like mm-hmm. you know do some research if you don't already know right like and um i want you to know that i don't think you're in danger but you should probably even, be paying attention to what you're doing absolutely yeah. don't don't be don't don't be dumb right like no. you know yeah if, if you're um, allergic to yellow jackets don't finger feed the snake. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so anyway, and I just, and I, cause I want, you know, I'd hate for anything to happen. And people just thought that I just, I just thought it was a regular, I thought it was a snake, you know, thought it was a rhino rat. Right. Yeah. So yeah, my, my uh, buttermilk racer bites me every day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's not something that I would, that I would do. And same with the, uh, same with the Boiga, man. I, I do not handle my melanata. I, I don't handle them ever. Um, and, uh, I just, I, I just don't do it, I, but I don't like being bitten by anything, you know? So, um, yeah, I just try to stay out of that. Try to stay away from that end of the animal. That's but, why we have hooks. That's yeah. right. But man, they're, they are, they are such cool animals. And like I said, I got the blues and I probably never would have been interested in the Browns, but, but now that I got that, now I'm kind of like, oh, the Browns look pretty cool too. You know, mm-hmm. I, I could see getting into some Browns and, um watching the watching their behaviors and and everything you know like a rhino rat snake will watch you but a a baron's racer will follow you you know i mean it's it's up on the glass it's it's waiting for food it's 
it's just like it's a it's on crack like they're yeah like i said they're racers for sure yeah the rhinos just crack me up man because i'll walk in my room and i have mine in the bio g cages and i posted a reel i think yesterday i walked in the room and like they were each on their perch that comes out of the back of the cage like into the middle of the cage like all sitting exactly the same yeah. And it's just like I have one male in particular that's my that's Katie's favorite snake in the room I think and uh yeah. he's just he's always always out and you walk in and they're you can just see him just sitting there watching everything you're doing and they're just I don't know man like yeah. they were a dream snake for me as a kid like early mm-hmm. 2000s I remember seeing him in the like the pro exotic ads and stuff and I thought it was yeah. just like the coolest thing and I was like there's no way I'm ever going to have those cuz nobody had them at the time except Yeah, like, they were $1200. Yeah, they're yeah. $1200 a piece, yeah. And then to now have you know, five of them, it's just, they're freaking cool. And they're just, yeah, they're awesome snakes. I mean, my, my daughter, uh, she had some friends over earlier and we pulled out that same male that's always chilling and he's, they're just, they're cool snakes. Cause I don't, you know, they're not, I've never had one even try to bite me. Right. Except yeah. for that first one I got from you initially when I pulled it out of the cup, but uh, they're, all <laughs> yeah. just, they're all just super, super mellow, you know? Yeah. And the, um, the same way, like if somebody comes over and one and, like to visit i'm getting i'm getting two snakes out for them to to see and and hold if they want and that's a rhino rat snake and the sumatran python like because i I have full confidence in those animals they're very like like the rhino rat snake is just super unoffensive you know i mean it's it's green it's what you want a snake to be you know Mm -hmm. it's green it's arboreal it's diurnal it's you know uh it's slow moving like it's inquisitive um and then the the Sumatran python is is all of those things um just in a bigger derby right. package like you know? yeah. yeah yeah and uh so yeah I, I i always pull those two out if if people come over and yeah they're always a hit for sure so nice ty asked oh. uh has there been any serious envenomations is it similar uh phyladrius so in the the venomous bites from non-venomous snakes book that i have it talks about phyladrius but it talks about uh ulfersi mostly which i think of that genus is kind of the the hottest of the lot if that's what you want to i guess call them but sure um no I, as far as i know no one even keeps those but it sounds like there have been some some fairly decent uh effects from from those but i don't i'll have to go back and look i don't think it mentions um bear and i in particular and anything it's mostly the that other the uh ulfersi or ulfersi whatever you want to call it ulfersi yeah i thought that the taxonomic oh no i was thinking of a different one um i was thinking the taxonomy changed uh but but it has not that they i I had thought that they'd taken that taken them out of uh phyllodryas i can't wait for that second edition of that book i need to pre-order mine which one that venomous uh, bites from non-venomous oh, snakes. They're coming yes, out with another yeah. edition in June. It got it was initially supposed to come out in like March, but it got punted. Um, so it comes out in June now. And I'm, yeah, it's such a good book. Yeah, yeah. Memory serves me right. the The worst cases I think from from the Barons were like intense localized swelling and like capillary disruption, like capillaries popping and shit. Hmm. Mm. But as far as I know, I, I don't think anything medically significant, like torso wise, was really right. a factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ty said the new edition will have new taxa. 
I'm just now seeing the, 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 I was in the private chat the whole time. Now I'm just now seeing the comments. I'm like, Oh, Oh. Uh, Graham Madison's here too, so shout out to Graham. Yeah. Hey, yeah, what's up, Graham? I'm gonna grab some water. I'll be right back. All right. Yeah. Like a mild boom slang of animation. Does that even exist? Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say that it would be similar to boom slang in terms of like its physical appearance and perhaps uh, a pain tolerance. Because from what I've heard, boom slangs aren't as painful as they're made out to be. From you know the stories I've heard. Obviously, I've never been bit by one, but uh, so, so you I know that a challenge on that. Yeah, definitely not. Um, but from what I gather, the the boom slang clinical effects in terms of the distribution of the venom is far more dynamic than that of the barons. It's almost like the boom slang travels way better mm-hmm. than the barons. The barons kind of is like, okay, your arm got it. You you got it in the bicep because it's got some fatty muscle there and stuff. But like I remember seeing somebody got bit in like the index finger from a barons. And I know they had like localized swelling, but and perhaps this person was a little more pale than most, but you could see where certain capillaries had ruptured and like hemoglobin had really started to like be noticeable through the skin, so to speak. Um, but again, I'm grab that book real quick and let me look. Yeah, yeah grab the book. Go for it. Wasn't it the boom, the boom slang bite report of the um, was it the the boom slang or the um, the Nornus, the twig snake that uh, the guy they didn't think it was dangerous and then he was bitten by it. it and he just started. Slang. It was the boom slang, right? And yeah. he so mm-hmm. yeah, he probably wasn't in a lot of pain because my goodness, he just he just kept writing until yeah, the yeah. words just kind of fall off the page. <clears throat> Yeah, and from what I gather, uh, and somebody please correct me, uh, it, it was several days of of writing before I he finally like, you know, <clears throat> bit it. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's that's how I remember it. But, um, yeah, man, <clears throat> I never want to have to uh, uh, be in that be in that position. You know, when I was working at uh, Kentucky Reptile Zoo, um, volunteering rather, but. Um, <clears throat> Jim was bitten by a uh, um, a Mojave rattlesnake, right? And just which just is, grazed, which I consider, in my personal opinion, the most toxic thing in North America. People yeah. will fight me yeah. on that, but like just seeing some of the stuff I've seen, no, thank you. But yeah. go on, sorry. I mean, he was just grazed um, through through anyway. So um, the hospital is thirty minutes away, and uh, out of at 100 miles an hour, it's 30 minutes away. So, yeah, uh, yeah. so they made it to the hospital relatively quickly, and he he had, you know, he's recounting it afterwards, and he he said, he said I was I was this close to asking to be intubated, right? Like I thought, like my lungs were done, like or the diaphragm was done. Yeah, and um, he was he was in the hospital overnight, came back the next day. No, no necrosis, no pain, no, no anything. It was like, that was it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, Robert was the Thanos and Karshmo did Robert write. I'm sorry. I'm responding to a comment that said Robert Mertens was the, the yeah. So so did he write a report as well? I don't know if he had to have written a report. Carl Schmidt is the one that we're talking about for yeah, sure. Carl Schmidt but, was the guy but, who yeah. wrote the boom slang. Anyway. But, okay. And then, um, anyway, so that was the, that was the Mojave. And we were like, you know, 
I was pretty young and impressionable. And I just thought that's sort of, that's what a, that's what a venomous bite is like. And he was very cautious to be like, this is not normal. This yeah. is not like, don't think that it's just 24 hours in the hospital and you're out and it's back to real life. And then, um, and then later, uh, he was bitten by a, um, Bullthrop's Atrox. Oof. And, um, and I feel like he's still suffering side effects from that to this day. Like that was, yeah. that was, <clears throat> you know, I didn't see him outside of the house. I mean, that was, that was rough. That was like, <clears throat> no, thank you. No, yeah. Thank you. Bo- both so. of those species are oof, rough, man. Real rough. Mm-hmm. So, and then yeah. you, you look at certain other species that have multiple reports written on, I mean, I'm going to say general prognosis, but something like the Iroquan, right? The yeah. Grandis. Yeah. So there's certain populations of Grandis that are more neurotoxic in their capabilities. Mm-hmm. And so the pain is extremely minuscule. Like, ow, my finger hurts. That's about it. And you're like, oh, I got bit by a rattlesnake. I, I must be all right. And then like 30, 40 minutes later, you're out because like yeah. synapses are just turning off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like reading those bite reports. I don't like yeah. none of them. Uh, none of them sound fun. Yeah. I mean, it's good to, it's good to read that stuff about the things you keep because it, it's a reminder yeah. of what you're keeping, you know? Right. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, and that's one of the things that has really kept me apprehensive on the Teletornis is that there's no antivenin, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, it's something that uh, it really does pique my fascination because I do want to get involved in more venomous colubrids, mm-hmm. but sometimes the juice ain't worth the squeeze, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. What do you, what are you finding over there, Justin? So this talks about, uh, Phyllodryas, um, Patagoniensis, and then the Ulfersi. Um Apparently, so there's a, from 1996, there's a reported fatality from the Ulfersi, but that says that there's, it's anecdotal. Um, two bites inflict, or bite reports, bites reportedly inflicted on two children, with one of them pur- uh, purportedly succumbing to the effects of the bite. Mm. Um... Let's see. Yeah, a lot of those. Uh, you said it was ninety six, nineteen ninety six. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's 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 still modern. I wouldn't I wouldn't discredit it too much, but like I know there's a lot of issues with South American animations is wrong ID, right? You know, and uh, cases where you know guys got bit by and you know Epicrates and they swore it was a fertilance and they're gonna die and you know literally nothing happens because they got bit by a boa. Or vice versa, you know, they, oh, I, I got bit by a boa and then they dropped dead because it was really a, you know, tersi pillow. Yeah, and that's what they're saying here is that the, uh, it must be considered that the bite may have been inflicted by a crotaline because some, such as the uh, Bothriopsis, the bilineata, yeah, are known in similar. I can see that. So. Sure. sure. Yeah, I can see that being confused. When we were in, uh, when we were, when we were in Peru, one of, one, of my, one of my favorite capture stories is um, 
we I'd found a snake. It was a green snake, a long green snake, about 20 feet up in a tree. Mm-hmm. And um, I posted about this on my Instagram the other day. And there was only so what was so interesting about that trip, right, is to learn to learn all the species was it would it would have taken a lot of study. Right. Oh, and yeah. so, you know, you go to somewhere new. It's a lot easier to study the three snakes that that are dangerous, you know, sure, sure. than it is the, you know, all, you know, whatever, 50, 60 species that are there. Right. And so, so, you know, we're in Southern Peru. We got the, you know, there's the Bushmaster, the, um, both are, the Bilineata, the two line forest viper, like those pretty easy enigmatic species, right? The one that was, um, there's, you got your coral snakes easy enough, but there was this, the Phyllodryas ofersii was there. And um, in Duhlman's book, um, Cusco Amazonico, it, it talks about um, it being responsible for a fatality, right? And so <laughs> we're, we're looking at this snake and we're like, it's, it could be that snake, right? I mean, you, you couldn't identify it from, you know, 20 feet away. Sure, we're like, sure. and it's dark, right? It's the middle of the night. Oh, yeah. And we're like, it's probably, but it's probably not, right? This is great bush knowledge, right? It's or like logic. Like, yeah, we're yeah. just like, yeah, it's, it's probably not because if it were, we shouldn't catch it. But if it wasn't, then we definitely need to catch it, you know. It's like, yeah, is and, it a rhino or is it a cow? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, so uh, so we, I, I climbed up the tree and we caught it, and uh, it was, but it was a Chironius. Chironius multiventris is a, you know, one of those wow. whip snakes, and mm-hmm. um, and it was a good thing because there, boy, that thing. There's a picture on my uh, my YouTube channel or a, a video of me releasing it, and when I pull it out of the bag it tags me like five times in 10 seconds, you know, wow. like, like before I can do anything, just like, just pop, 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 you know? Um, but that was a, that was, that snake reminded me of Clint Eastwood, man. He, he didn't, <laughs> he didn't take no lip. Nice. But, That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. You always hear stories of, you know, guys that, you know, find some unique snake and they do the same thing they say oh there's only yeah. five species of venomous snakes in this area and everything else is you don't got to worry about it and they find something like uh uh, uh the, the ninia the coffee snake right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, yeah. look at this pretty little coffee snake and they're holding it and like it just bites them on the finger and they're not realizing that it's an aberrant coral yeah you know, it just it, it happened to not have those bands for whatever reason and then they they're looking at pictures of the hospital going oh <laughs> shit what do we just do yeah. So. Well, who 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 was it? Um, oh gosh, I know you know who it is. Uh, Joe. Who was it that died in Myanmar from a crate bite? Oh, on nine eleven. Uh, I, I know who you're talking about. I'm. I read the book. Um. <laughs> What's the book? It's not. Just name all the books. <laughs> It's not. Can you remember the name of the, the title? Slowinski. Yeah. It was yeah, Joe yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Graham. Um, yeah. He, you know, his, uh, thanks, Henry. Henry's quick on that. So, uh, yeah, you know, his, one of his aides, I don't know, grad student, whatever, there's some dude helping him in this expedition. I was like, hey, I found this snake. Um, and I don't know if there's a wolf snake. Yeah, I don't know if it's yeah. is it, is it a wolf snake. Yeah, and a, it's, and it's a crate. Like and, and the 
the like only differentiating factor between them is like an extra L'Oreal scale or something. You know, it's 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 very minuscule. And Joe just dumps the snake out in his hand, you know, and <laughs> and it's a crate, you know. So I mean, terrible, terrible. Yeah, yeah. But. These this book has Phyllodrya is listed as hazard level three. I'm trying to figure out what the credentials as a full, are for that. Oh. As uh, for the gen- for the genus. Yeah, and I, I think that's fairly low because I think they have all the like really serious stuff labeled as hazard level one. So mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this: you as a keeper of a rear fang, whatever you want to call it, and having worked with lots of full blown venomous stuff, do you ever find yourself? having accidentally slipped up and like grab a baron as it's jumping out of the racing out of the tub and like catch yourself doing mistakes like that or no? Um, so I don't, so yes, I've done, I've, I have done that. I've, I've grabbed barons as they flew out of the cage. Um, I don't, I don't work them exclusively with hooks. Um, sure. I, I, I let them know they're not being fed. Right. Right. And, right. um, and usually will then, uh, you know, extract them with, a, you know, my, my hands after that. But, um, but, uh, I don't know that I would be the greatest, uh, venomous keeper because of the discipline involved, right? Sure, sure. Um, right. Well, and, and that's you pretty much answered my question because, like, for example, you know, barons, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sweat it too much. Like, I would do what you mm-hmm. do, make sure that they know that it's not feeding time, and mm-hmm. then once they realize that my hand isn't a prey item, I would probably use my hands and put them in a container for cleaning or whatever. Yeah. But like, I, I just had recently, uh, I opened the drawer. I'm, I'm raising some some baby telescopus. Well, baby, they're probably a year old by now. Um, and they're, they never run away. They kind of just hide and chill for whatever mm-hmm. reason. I went to miss the tub and that thing shot out like a bat out of hell. And mm-hmm. which is, I would have never done this if I was in the venomous room. And like, mm-hmm. I mean, I can confidently say that, but I literally was just like, and just grabbed it. And it yeah. like did this, you know, and I was like, oh, what, what am I doing? And like, I just <laughs> threw it back in the tub, you yeah. know, but there was that quick moment of like, was I really in danger? Uh, uh, yeah. But again, I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have done it like that. But I know it's the mindset. It's because I'm not in the venomous room. Mm-hmm. I don't think like that. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I want to yeah. get your opinion on it. Remind me what telescopus is. Uh, cats. Uh, African wanna, cat. Wanna snake. be cat snakes. Wanna be. <laughs> they are the cat-eyed snakes. Just, they're me. they're distant relatives of the Toxigodryas boiga clade. It's not. Tell it's not. It's not the Madagascar. Is it the Madagascans? No, Madagascar. No, no, no. Very okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. These are literally like desert boiga kind of. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I, and I've heard people say that you know that keep both is they never work non venomous and venomous on the same day. Like they never go work their non venomous stuff and then go into the venomous room. Sure. Right. And um. Um, even, even Jim, like Jim, before he extracted and stuff, he would, 
he would take time, you know, he was, he studies martial arts and, and, you know, so say it's, you know, a form of meditation or whatever. Right. But right. he was, he was, he was very into, you know, centering himself and, and, uh, doing that kind of thing before, um, before he started working venomous snakes too. So, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, how many, how many times do we talk about complacency, you know, and, right. and venomous right. snake keeping and, um, yeah. So I, I hear you. I hear you. So yeah. I also, I also think that real quick, Justin, sorry. I also think that at least for me, there is a false sense of security with being in the venomous room. Cause I know that God forbid it got away from me. It ain't going anywhere. Cause the room's mm -hmm. escape proof while mm -hmm. as the telescopus I have in my bedroom. So yeah. I, I, I don't so want it. Got to grab it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also, yeah. I don't want to go into the bed. I don't want the, the yeah. dachshund, you know, biting it. So yeah. 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 So the, con the conclusion this has on Phylodryas uh, says the small number of well-documented cases of medically significant bites from Phylodryas, primarily Ulfersi, Baroni, and Patagoniensis, uh, describe only mild to moderate local effects resulting from these incidents. Uncommon cases that include systemic effects have occurred but are rarely documented. However, data characterizing several fibrino Big word. That's all right. Fibrinogenolytic enzymes and myotoxins suggest that larger specimens of these species may be may be capable of inflicting a bite, resulting in significant systemic effects. Mm. So basically, what we we're saying, like you get a big ass barons and you get bit by it, you're yeah. probably gonna know. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine it would have similar, uh, dare I say, side effects like other South American rear fang stuff. You know, the nausea, the fever the maybe cold sweats I, I imagine those would attribute to it as well mm. Mm. yeah hope we never have to find out that's yeah sure. right right yeah mm -hmm. no but uh, heck yeah i freaking love that book man i can't i can't speak highly enough of that book that seems cool i i, I haven't i haven't read that one yeah can you uh when we're done with the show can you send me and terry the link for the pre-order of the new one Yes, because I've been I've been waiting to buy it. For, I've been waiting to. I didn't buy that one because when by the time that we were all looking at buying it, you got yours. Mm -hmm. They had already talked about the new one, so I was like, you know what, I'll just wait. So, and it's yeah, cheaper I mean, to it, actually buy it from the publisher itself, right? I think Wyman said it was. Yeah. Okay. I have to double check. He sent me the link. <laughs> like you can buy it straight from El Sevier or whatever the brand is, the the publisher. Sure. Okay. All right. El El Sevier, El Sevier. I nice. don't know. I'm not Italian, mm -hmm. or Russian, or whatever that language is. Capiche? Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. oh. You know what that means? No, you don't. Cause that, that's because that's Russian. That's the new emoji. Everyone's using this emoji now. <laughs> my my daughter just listen. She watched uh, a full hour of Daniel Tiger in Spanish. My wife said today. And, really? Yeah. And my wife was like, "Do you want me to change it?" Like she put it on on accident. She said, "Do you want me to change it?" My daughter's like, "No, I understand it." And wow. and then later she's like, "Do you want me to change it?" And she was like, "Uh, next episode." You know, like the worst thing my daughter wants you to do is turn the television off, you know. Right. And right. Uh, and so today I was asking her about it and then I was like, "Did you did you learn anything?" Like what? And then she just started counting in Spanish. <laughs> she's just like, <laughs> "Cuatro, nice. cinco, seis." And, nice. Uh, I was like, "Hey, TV for the win, you know. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. funny. Well, I swear my, my kid brother, he's a, a super duper tech guy. He's actually a programmer. Yeah. And uh, when he was growing up, I told everyone, I was like, look, man, he's he's brilliant. And he learned to read playing Zelda. Yeah. You know, because yeah, because no, all the text. Yeah. The text boxes. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. That's so funny. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, uh, but. Well, gentlemen, is there anything else we wanted to touch base on this evening? I was asked to post yeah. a link to the book in the chat, so I'm going to grab that real quick. Oh, yeah. Okay. Awesome. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Future projects, Terry? <laughs> well, what I'm really interested, what I'm really hopeful for this year is um, uh, a litter of annulated boas. Super yeah. hopeful for that. Um, I bred the, I bred one of the offspring back. So I, I held back, um, the highest white offspring, um, that I'd received in my first litter. It's a male. Uh, so I bred it back to the female this year and, um, and she's, she's acting different. So I've got some confirmed locks and then, um, she's, she's acting really well. She's acting very different than she did last year. She didn't go last year. Um, she fasted most of the year this year, the first three months of the year, she's just been eating like crazy. So I'm hoping, um, I'm hoping that that turns into a litter. I really hope that turns into a litter. I'm really excited to see if, if that, if that white is going to get accentuated, you know? So basically I'm line breeding for the white and, um, and if there's any that are more white than the male, they're, they're going to be, they're going to be pretty phenomenal. Um, but, um, I'll Real take quick, any, yeah. If you buy the book, if you pre-order on El Sevier's, the publisher's website, it is $20 cheaper. So it's one Oh six on their website and it's one twenty five on Amazon. So nice. <laughs> and, uh, so I'll take any annulated boy, you know, I mean, any, any, any of them are great, but I'm really interested in that project just because it's, it's a line breeding project that I've kind of been yeah. thinking about for, you know, the last seven years. Um, and then, uh, short tail pythons. I've got, I've got a pair of those that, um, I actually purchased the female gravid and I didn't know it. Neither did the seller. And, um, Jackpot. she laid some, she laid some eggs. They weren't either. They weren't good or, or they, they went bad because I was on vacation when I came back. Um, they had anyway i incubated them none of them none of them hatched um and then she didn't go the following year and um which was last year so i'm really hoping that she goes this year i'd love to i'd love to get yes. some some baby sumatran pythons How are um, the doing? What's I, um, i've got those? i've got the sabus uh paired up again the the female that went last year um i'm not i don't think she's gonna go um, I have to go back and see my records. The, but the, the other female, um, who's the imported female, she, I thought she was going to go, but the jury's still out. So I've got them paired, but so that female laid last year, uh, at the end of April. Um, so I guess we're not too far off of that right now, but. Uh, I keep watching that that other female. She's big, and she's she's looking good. But and I've seen courtship for sure. 
you know, cool. but I saw, I saw all of that stuff in her last year too. And it didn't result in anything. So, hmm. um, so we'll see, but, um, I kept all the babies from last year and they're they're That's a cool snake. Like I'm, I'm very interested in liasis after, after keeping these and breeding these, they're very, very interesting. I wanted Sabus so, as a kid so bad, man. Mm-hmm. And they yep, were actually available I was gonna say, at that point. <laughs> I was going to say you should have got them when they, when you were a kid, cause they would have been a whole lot cheaper. <laughs> was working. And yeah. <laughs> um, yeah but, uh, yeah, really, really like those. Um, man, the babies, <laughs> when they eat, they, they tackle the prey item and use their entire body to, they, to, use, they to do the king snake thing where just, yes, the yep. entire body. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, all your babies were red. I had, um, like rusty. Yes. There was one. There was one that looked a little bit different, and I thought maybe. Like, I, and I, I sent a picture of it to uh, to Gary and asked him, "Is this is this a silver savu?" Right, and 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 he said this, the his silver is hatched out the same as all the others. Okay. Um, but that animal, for for whatever reason, that animal passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I don't I don't know what that is, but but in the ones that I have, there are some that are very dark already, and there are some that are still that that rusty peachy color. Nice. So nice. So, so I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see the, what phenotype, you know, comes out of that. That's um, cool, man. And it, do you know exactly, I mean, obviously not gram weight or whatever, but do you know how big your females, your female is like in relation to some of the other ones you've seen over the years? Cause I feel like there's um, a lot of people that try and breed them to, to, in my opinion, I don't keep them, but a lot of people try and breed them to, young where they mm-hmm. think they're the right age they think they're the right size and it just doesn't it just doesn't pan out you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah um i don't know i will say these these things are 10 years old um so one of, one of my my really good friends uh he had he's had them for over a decade and i asked him if i could try to try to breed them and he, he said yeah so um so there could be something to that for sure um, I couldn't tell you like a gram weight of what they are. Yeah, no, no, um, that, you answered my question, know, man. Yeah, yeah. you're ten years old. Regardless, it's it's ready, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just remember yeah. guys getting, you know, in, back in oh nine, maybe oh eight, guys getting import adults that mm-hmm. they thought were adults, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, this is this is what the book says it gets to be, and like they put them together, and like they get two micro slugs and oh that's yeah it, you know yeah yeah and it makes me wonder if they they need that extra time to to mm-hmm. to, to develop for lack of a better yeah. word and there could be too you know you, you know the barkers talked about um wild caught female pythons being extremely difficult to to breed because sure. um because they just don't cycle or yeah. you know for whatever reason and um and so there could be something. So the one, the, the, the snake that I have bred and got eggs from last year, she's captive born. And the one that I haven't is imported. Mm. So, yeah. So there might be something to that as well, sure. you know, sure. and the imported snake is bigger, you know, she's, she's yeah. bigger. Um, but um, yeah, I'm hoping that she goes. Um, the world needs more Sabu pythons for sure. They do. The world and, does. Uh, 
Yeah. And let's see the, I'm hoping I've, I've this other rough scale Python. I'm hoping that they're going to go. Um, there'd be a, a virgin female that that's, that I've never bred before. I'm really excited about that. I was just telling somebody at work today about, because I showed her that video uh, of, of the, the snake laying eggs. And she was asking me about why I like that snake. Right. And I like that snake because of the story. And of course, um, of course. and I was just telling, I was just recounting that of like, when, when I was at the reptile zoo, we had talked about, Hey, how cool would it be to have a rough scale python? And I was like, maybe we would see one in a zoo in Australia someday, yeah. but that's as close as we're ever going to get to, to a rough scale python, you know? And, um, and now, you know, I've got my fourth clutch in the incubator right now. Like it just, it blows my mind. It just, yeah. yeah. So literally um, living the dream. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And Gillen puts, I, I completely forgot to ask you. How are the Angolans, man? The Angolans? <laughs> I forgot you had those too. The I don't I don't know. Again, I want to see when they laid. They they I think they would have already laid. Um they laid in April and June. March and let's see, March and July, and then April and June. So March and July 2020 and April and June 2021. So, um, I think they could have used a little better conditioning, um, in, in preparation. So I tried to kind of make up for that, but they're paired up. Um, but I, I, I don't know yet. The jury's out on those. So I didn't have an appreciation for those until I, I held the one that Casey got at Daytona last year. Then it made sense. Then I was like, okay. What, yeah. are, was it, was it an adult? No, no, it was a youngster. Baby. It was a young one. For me, it was it was holding an adult. So I, the babies, I was just like, eh, okay. But but putting a, an adult female in my hand, it was like, okay, this because the the stigma is that it's a bumpy ball python, you know. Right. Sure. And right. the reality is that it's 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 not. It's it's not it it, it, at all. it doesn't act like a ball python. It doesn't move like a ball python. It's its body shape isn't like a ball. Its head is the closest thing to a ball python that 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 it shares. You know. Right. And, and ironically um, enough, their closest relative is rock pythons, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which and, is so strange because they're so far apart in terms of like everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But except for but, color. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think they do have a, a, a particular color pattern. But um, my females are big. I mean, my females are probably five feet long. You know, so nice. they they they're a sizable animal, and um, so. Yeah, hoping to have, like I said, hoping to have more of those. Trying to get more of those, but I think I could have, uh, I could have conditioned the females a lot better before I started them. Okay. So, um, yeah, how were the babies to get started on those? Are they pretty straightforward? Some of them are great. Some of them are are fantastic. And and I've got, I've got one now. I had two um, that I've had to assist feed for quite some time, and. Um, and here's the other thing too. I, I don't, you know, I got a full-time job. I got my kids um, that I try to, you know, I, I try not to ever choose the snakes over the kids. Right. Sure. So, so what I'm saying is I don't spend a lot of time with my animals. And so the animals that really need it. So the animals that need assist feeding or they need a little bit extra, you know, care. I probably could have got those started three months ago, you know, or six months ago. But instead, I'm here. I am. I'm. I'm still doing it, um, 
because I just haven't been focused on it as much. But I do have one that I'm um, I'm not assist feed. So what I do is I take a. And I was going to mention this when we were talking about assist feeding. I'll take a a mouse tail, like from from a small mouse, and I'll I'll feed that to it, which is a, a ridiculously small meal. Like yeah, it's not it's not say. a meal. It's like right. dental floss for this snake. Yeah, but it will swat. It will like it'll get it. It'll take it. It'll take it. Yeah. And as it's taking that, I'll put a, a small mouse in its in its mouth. Yeah. It and and since it's already eating, it'll take it and it'll constrict it. It'll it'll consume it. Well, I was so, going to ask you too. Is have you tried so? Have you tried doing the brown paper bag with the hopper thing? What about ASFs? I have not. Tr- See, I'm I would to think. get I would yeah. get worried with the ASFs because that's like the, the the infamous gerbil trick where it's like, oh, my ball python won't eat. We'll give it a gerbil and then. It never eats anything ever again because it only wants wild gerbils, you know. <laughs> and I know that that sounds cockamamie, and for ninety nine percent of the animals that we keep in herpetoculture, that's a fallacy. But mm-hmm. I would be afraid that if you gave a soft fur to an Angolan, it would be a very stubborn feeder from that point it's, on. It's had caviar. Why does it want to go back to to <laughs> clam exactly. strip? Exactly. Yeah. And it's and it's way more natural of a of a prey item. I mean, I don't know if African soft furs come from you know southeastern yeah. angola but mm-hmm. i don't i don't know um i don't know and switching it is i mean i've fed them quail before i've, I've oh, fed nice. them quail nice. and then um and then they they ate mice so i think i think really and and i think true especially probably for juveniles what a snake eats when it's a juvenile is not what it eats the rest of its life right, right? like yeah. like yeah. that's true for for a maybe arguably maybe all species of snakes yeah, right what sure. it eats as a juvenile yeah. is not the same and um so i'm not uh i'm not hesitant to feed it something because i think it'll get stuck on it um if i think it'll eat it you know sure. um so some of them can be some of them are fantastic some of them eat like like crazy and they're off to the races and it, it's wonderful um but but some of them aren't too you know some of them take a little bit more time yeah but uh um, but they can, they can handle it. You know, they, they generally do, do very, very well. It's so crazy too, that sometimes, you know, these got these huge eggs and, um, a baby ball python was bigger than some of my Angolans this year. And it was just, I don't know, it was, it was kind of strange, but, um, yeah, love that snake. Um, that's another one that, that needs to be more represented. And I had planned on keeping all my females back this year. Um, but I, I just, I, people kept inquiring and then, uh, the building was taking more money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, then you had to make planned. the hard decision. Yeah. 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 So, um, I ended well, up, I ended up selling them all. So you, you got to make more man. Cause my goal is to get one from you and one from Bender. And yeah. then, uh, and then eventually when Casey grows his up, I want to, I'll get one from him or two from him and splice it all up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's the goal. Yeah. So, yeah, heck yeah! I don't know. If, I don't know if Bretts are going this year or not. Um, he, I don't know if he he's given his female a year off or not. But um, <coughs> yeah, so we'll see. But if not, if not this year, I think certainly, certainly next year because excellent. Um, they they pack on the calories really really well. Cool. So yeah, uh, they seem um, like they'd be pretty sturdy as far as breeders go. Like really, not a lot of hassle in terms of getting them conditioned and ready. Like they seem like mm-hmm. they'd be pretty pretty easy to. 
Of course, man. They're African. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I'm hoping this year to breed um, Melanata for the first time. Nice. Um, the the four that I've been growing up, I've got a female that's older and she's bigger. She's like five, <laughs> six feet long. Um, and I paired her with a ma- I paired her with a male last year, and it it didn't go well. Um, she the the male freaked out at me, and then she bit the male. And so I was trying to rescue him from her while he was trying to kill me. And it just, it was just a fiasco. So, um, so I have not paired any males with her again, but there, I do have smaller females and, uh, I've gotten, I've gotten locks on both of those females. So I'm not feeling follicles yet. I don't know necessarily if they're cycling, but, um, but that would be nice. That'd be super nice to get some melanata and, um, my, I've got some lot of fasciata that I really want to oh, yeah. to pair. Um, I've paired them. I don't think the female's ready yet, um, but they it was they'll get there. They'll get there. So, I knew there was going to be a curveball tonight. He just threw it. <laughs> the the, the <laughs> lot of fasciata. Yeah, was, <laughs> I did not yeah. expect that. That's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah, super super excited about about those. Those are. Um, one of my favorite species of, of Boiga for sure. And, uh, I had the oldest, I had the oldest pair that had come into the country. Um, and I, I'd gotten infertile eggs from them two years in a row and I read everything that I could, um, on papers about them and other Boiga species. And, and I had a, a plan and I knew that 2020 was going to be the year. And you can, you can actually go back to my Instagram stories and you, or my Instagram and you can see the last post I made, of that snake. And I said something like, this is going to be the year and we're going to have, we're going to get, you know, uh, a lot of fasciata eggs. And she died later that day. Oh, like, like I just, like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. So, um, I had ended up selling my mail after that. And then, uh, and then late last, late last year, early this year, I think anyway, I, I ended up tracking down another pair and, um, was fortunate enough to get another pair. So yeah, cool. I'd really, really like some of those. I think those are so beautiful and, uh, um, I really, really enjoy those. I wish we had, but, uh, what is it? Multisincta. Yeah. There's, there's multisincta. In the, there's yeah. not a ton of them though. Those are yeah. some of the coolest looking dendros. Yeah. Those are really neat. Um, um, Brian Barczyk has some, and I know he's, he's bred Melanata, so mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know how much different they would be to, to breed, but yeah, hopefully he's got, you know, he has success with those, but that's what I'm saying. I think, I think, um, you know, I hate to bring it back to Buiga, but I just, I'm so excited for that genus because it's something that I've been so, so interested in for so long. And we've been so limited to just three species, you know? Yeah. And now, now yeah. it's like the floodgates are open. It's like, I mean, any, anything you want, you know, it's, it's getting, um, they're they're being captive born and and people are figuring them out so that's pretty cool so yeah so i'm super excited about um about those things excited for barons racers again um i got my rhinos paired up um um, i I got into ball pythons last year i'm really excited about some of the projects that that i'm starting with those and um yeah just kind of taking it you know it's kind of interesting when I, when I, when I think of the, the building and I think, Oh man, I've got all this space, you know, I can add more projects. Like, what am I going to do? And, and really most of what I'm thinking of is just holdbacks. 
it's just i just yeah. i'm excited about holding stuff back and growing it for the future and um it's the way to do it man yeah getting better at what i'm already keeping type stuff you know nice yeah so i'm not gonna sell i'm not gonna sell all my diamonds this year like i am keeping <laughs> some of my some of my diamonds so cool man but, yeah good shit but, yeah so so we'll see you know <laughs> well where can people follow what you're doing if they want to best thing i loop. just just go to go to instagram terry burwell at, uh on instagram is is the best way um there's the tv snakes facebook page um but as much as i as much as i move i, I thought about changing my my name to nomad reptiles or something but, uh, <laughs> nice but uh but anyway yeah uh instagram i think is the best um best deal so yeah awesome and, good stuff uh, brother good stuff thanks for having me on it's fun yeah man yeah thanks for doing it so short notice yeah yeah i, I was like well yeah I could fight. that'd be fun i could do that i could do that <laughs> like, I, get the kids curious down. Doing, I was like yeah i was like i'll text him right now <laughs> happy to do it happy to awesome, do it man. this I'm was Episode 116 of Snakes and Stogies, uh, brought to you by blackboxcages.com and Puget Sound Pythons. Give both of them a follow, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, even Terry has some black box cages. And, you know, that's that should say everything right there. If Terry's got <laughs> shit, they must be legit. That's right. Yes. That's right. I get my stamp of approval. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. uh, we'll be back for THP Thursday uh, our buddy Dylan Peerless is joining us. He's gonna he does some like dog aversion training for snakes. Um, so we're gonna have an episode on that. Really excited about it. Um, and then I was actually talking to TJ Chambers today about the following week after that. So I think we might have a scrub slash Morelia episode with him um, later in the month because he's got some really really awesome stuff and he's a he's a fellow drummer as well. So I might get into some of that while we're at it. So cool, man. Uh, yeah. It's a good show. I really enjoyed it. Good okay. stuff. Well, we will... take care, guys. <laughs> Everyone have a good evening. Bye. I was going to say, I was waiting for it. I was like, Phil, what are you doing, dude? <laughs> well, I got to make sure that you're done like doing your spiel, and then I can spiel. say goodbye. All right. Well, we're really leaving now. So. All right. Adios. Bye. Bye.